Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Well, that was fun, Mike Sielski. For who? For what? (laughs) For nobody. Uh, good morning, everybody. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. And, yeah, that was the game-winning hit last night. Here's what you had last night. The Phillies are down six runs They in, in just a dreadful, dreadful start by Zach Wheeler. They end up coming back. They tie it up. Connor Brogdon is in the game. I can't stand Connor Brogdon in that situation. But, anyway, he takes the L by walking the nine-hole hitter Alex Call with two outs in the bottom of the eighth, throws a wild pitch. Gives up a game-winning single, and the Phillies are now 25-32. and 32. Yes, the last place Phillies. The last place Phillies. All right, Mike, let me just throw a couple things out here, and, okay. then, I, and then I really want to get you to explain to me what the hell is going on here. <laughs> I shall do my best. Okay. Um, this, by the way, they, are now, they have now lost five straight. They are 10-19 and 19 in their last 29. They were swept, of course, by the Mets in New York. All of this with the fourth-highest payroll in baseball. Um, it was Zach Wheeler with a disastrous start yesterday. By the way, hurt by his outfield defense, which has been an issue all season. There were three balls that probably should have been caught that fell in the first two innings. Today is a bullpen game, which is Woo-hoo! has not worked out thus far. And the Nationals start Mackenzie Gore, who's who's their best pitcher. Phillies eleven and twenty-two on the road. I, you know, I could do this all day. I don't want to keep doing this. So here's my question for you: what The hell's going on out there? <laughs> Well, you mentioned Zach Wheeler's terrible start, and you're right. You have to start there. But there are other issues beyond the obvious one, which is that they are not pitching well. I mean, let's be honest here. There are only five teams in Major League Baseball that have a worse ERA than the Phillies do, and you're not getting enough out of your top two guys in the rotation. But issues beyond that, they have holes in the lineup that they just can't make up for. Kyle Schwarber's hitting 166. Unbelievable. It's it's remarkable. Yeah. Uh, you know, Nick Castellanos bounces back, and yet Trey Turner seems to be going through the same thing that Castellanos went through last year in his first year in Philadelphia. One stat that jumps out to me, Glenn, the Phillies have hit 58 home runs this season. That is the 22nd most yes. in baseball. This is a team that's built on mashing the ball. That's how they're supposed to. That's how they can win. They yeah. don't win if they don't hit home runs. And, and they yeah. are not mashing the ball. No. So uh, there's a lot going on here, but but I think that's underplayed, if anything. All right, here's what today is. And and you and I yesterday morning got together, and let's, we'll talk about this, we'll talk about Nick Nurse, we got all this other stuff. But after that game last night, today has to be vent day, mm-hmm. vent your spleen day, uh, <laughs> which you and I are happy to participate in. Absolutely. And we really invite our listeners today to call up and vent your spleen, 215-592-9494. It, this has reached the point of just in, incredulity with how bad they are. Last week when we started the show, uh, I said, you know, what do you think the chances are they're going to make the playoffs? I forget what you said. I, I said, said 60%. Uh, I said 40%. Mm-hmm. I'm now at 
27%. And I'm probably at about 51%. You're still over 500? Yeah. Give it another week or two. If they keep playing like this, then I'll drop wow. below 50. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I am I am below 50. Um, and so we want to give people the opportunity to just comment on what you have seen. There's going to be a lot of things we're going to get to here. But I asked you, what what's the biggest issue? And, and this is what it is for me. Uh, because there are many, and we're gonna we're gonna cover all of it today. I think to me, I am most upset at Nola. It mm. could be Nola and Wheeler, but I'm just gonna narrow focus on Nola okay. because this is his free agent year. Um, he is a guy who, over the years, put up some really good numbers, but can frustrate you. Has had amazing games. Has you know all of those secondary numbers: hits, walks, burning, strikeouts mm-hmm. to walks. All that's really good. And yet he can drive you crazy in games. He is completely unreliable. He could not beat the Mets last week in a game that he should have beat the Mets. Yes. He couldn't beat the Braves in the previous series. He gave three home runs to the Braves. Yeah. I mean, the Braves have power, but he's got to win those games. Aaron Nola has an ERA of 479. The Phillies are 5-7 and when he starts, which I guess is pretty much, you extrapolate that, that's pretty much what their record is overall. Mm -hmm. But he's supposed to be the number one guy. He or Wheeler. 1-1-A. Stop the losing streak. Stop the losing streak. And to me, Aaron Nola is the biggest frustration. I have have spoken in his support many, many times over the years. I have defended him against the masses many times. Like, he's not an ace. He's he's Mm -hmm. a number three at best. He's that. No. He's good. He's one of the ten best pitchers in baseball. Not now. Not now. No. Right now, he stinks on ice. And it's really frustrating when the guy you're counting on for so much gives you so little. So to me, and I know it's a long list today, mm-hmm. Aaron Nola is at the top of the charts with a bullet for me, and you don't want to be there. So that's it for me. Okay. You. I have a theory that I want to throw out there. Uh, get your get listeners' feedback. Get your feedback, Glenn. I wonder if this team as it's built right now, is particularly ill-suited for the rules changes in Major League Baseball. This was a team that was built to thrive last year when hitting home runs and mashing the ball, as we said a minute ago, was the prime way teams generally went about winning games. Now you have all these rule changes where stealing bases – putting the ball in play are of higher value. And this team does not do that well. They just don't. Even yep. if Kyle Schwarber were hitting the way we would hope Kyle Schwarber would hit, he'd still strike out a lot. Even if Trey Turner were the player Trey Turner had been with the Dodgers and the Nationals throughout his career, he'd still strike out 100 to 125 times a season. And to your point about Aaron Nola... Maybe Nola and Wheeler, whether you want to talk about the extended season last year because they went to the World Series and they pitched more, maybe the pitch clock has a greater effect on them, whatever. Perhaps the Phillies are not the right kind of team for the kind of baseball that is being played right now. God, I hate that. Yeah. Um, so, so let me see if I got you right. Last year, this team was good enough, and you know we all know what happened. They fired Girardi, and then uh, Rob Thompson comes in, and they go on this terrific winning streak through the summer, et cetera, et cetera. Win, end up with eighty-seven wins, get into the playoffs, get hot, win it all. Because of these rule changes in baseball, 
which we all agree have made the game, the sport the, better. The, the game is better, no, no doubt. The Phillies are not built to handle it or cannot handle it and therefore are cursed by the improvements in baseball. I think there's something to that. Other than Turner, who's stealing bases on this team? Uh, occasionally Stott, Marsh. Yeah. I mean, real mutual for a catcher steals a lot, but he hasn't gotten on base in a month. Yeah. Um, the team is not getting on base. It doesn't walk at the rate it, it once did. No. You know, you have Bryson Stott near the top of the lineup. If he doesn't hit his way on base, he doesn't get on base. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's no opportunity to create a rally, to create chaos on the bases. You have a number of players who are have track records of being great sluggers, but they're not the kind of guys who slap the ball through a hole in the left side of the infield. And I'm not suggesting that they should do that or that you know Bryce Harper should start bunting or something like that, but they're not a team that stylistically is going to thrive See, with these rules. And here's what surprised me, because I thought if anybody is going to be helped by the um, – decision to take away the shift, it was going to be Kyle Schwarber. Because mm-hmm. how many times did I see last year him hit to the guy? It's the old, you know, Ryan Howard, him hitting to the right. guy in short right field, getting thrown out at first base. Right. I thought his average is going to go up a good 20, 30 points. And, and yet he when, hit 166. And when he led off last night's game with that si- single, I'm yeah. sure 50% of all Phillies fans who were watching the game fainted because he doesn't hit singles. Yeah, I know. Well, I it's... You can't tear. I, I heard a lot of conversation this morning, earlier this week. It's like, hey, you got to tear it up. Let's get it rid of it and trade everybody. It's like, you can't do that. No. And, and you can't do it for a few reasons. First of all, you said they have a 51% chance to make the playoffs. I would like to start drinking beer as early as you in the morning. <laughs> and trust me, I drink a lot of beer. Uh, I think you're a little drunk there. But, I, you know, I still say, what did I say, 25%? Yes. Whatever. I still think they got to, that you can't bail on this. Um, you can't bail on it for a few reasons. First of all, Nobody's making trades right now. Who, no. who, who, who are you going to trade? No. Right? Nobody's going to give you anything for anybody right now. Uh, secondly, you can't quit on this season because there is that possibility, whether it's 25 or 50%, you don't give up on June 3rd. Correct. And third of all, coming off of last year, you had you sold hundreds and thousands of tickets and millions of tickets to people who got so excited by last year that they're all in. I was at a game a couple weeks ago, and there's 38,000 people there again. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, it's like the heyday of 2007 to 2013 when that place sold out every single day. You can't tell these fans, yeah, you know what? We're quitting. We're out. No. And what team is going to engage you in trade discussions uh, because you, the Phillies, are breaking everything down after a bad 57-game start? Like, it's... It's not realistic to think that way, and I don't know that there's anything that can be done right now other than, hey, you got to hope that these guys come around. Because you've invested so much money in so many of them Mm -hmm. that what other choice do you have? No, you have no other choice. You have no other choice right now but to— but to try to figure this out and get better and believe that the guys who have these track records, and there are guys with these track records— are going to be able to figure this out. All right, 215-592-9494. It's Vent Day. Let's start with John and Maniunk. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Hey, John. Hey, Glenn. I was thinking about stopping out on June 8th for your Conchock and Brewing event there. Please do. It's at our place, Puddler's uh, Kitchen Tab in Bridgeport, 6 to 9, Fransky in L.A. Uh, it's going to be a great event. 
Does he uh, $20 cover an open bar or not? Uh, does not cover an open bar, <laughs> but it does cover an open buffet. The beer you got to oh, okay. pay for, the food There's I'll cover for a you. A lot of drink talk early this morning. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, you have to with the Phillies. Hey, when Fair do you point. think they're after this year? Do you think the uh, when are they going to change the Mendoza line to the Schwarber line? <laughs> well, the, the Schwarber line would be one seventy. I think it wouldn't oh, be two hundred. Oh my! Was Mariano Mendoza two hundred? Yeah, it yeah. was two hundred. You know, I met him yeah. once um, when he was managing a team down in the Dominican Republic. Really? Yeah, nicest guy in the world, and like very had a real good sense of humor about the fact that his name. For people who don't know, let me just give the background. Mario Mendoza was a utility player uh, back in the 70s and 80s, and um, he always hit right around 200. So hitting 200 became known as the Mendoza line, which is a derogatory term of saying you can't hit. And when I met him as a manager of Dominican, he actually had a good sense of humor about it. Anyway, carry on. Oh, but it, Yeah, Mike, I think uh, I'm really getting tired. I know you're trying to be optimistic optimistic but what do you i mean everyone's saying it's still early i think it's too late now you got to start trading guys and uh, i mean like i I would trade like i was listening to howard maybe trade nola because he's his contract's up what do you think i i mean i suppose you could think about it and i suppose that you might very well hit a point in the season where that becomes a possibility and feasible i wouldn't trade aaron nola now no his val- by the way, his value goes, regardless of how he pitches, his value will go up because right now teams aren't looking, aren't saying, you know what, we're one starter away from getting into the postseason. Let's make a big deal and trade our kids now. What happens is as fewer teams, excuse me, as fewer teams become uh, in the race or as there's a battle for those last couple of spots or somebody gets hurt, that's when his value goes up. His value is going to be higher in July and August. Yeah, and the other factor too, Glenn, is because there are more teams that make the playoffs now, mm-hmm. more teams think they're going to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So if the Phillies are, I don't know, let's say they rally to get to a game under 500 or a game over 500, the likelihood is they're going to be just a few games out of the last wild card spot in the National League. Are you trading Aaron Nola then, or are you punting on the season? The likelihood is you're going to go for that last wild card spot, especially based on what happened once you got in the playoffs last year. You can't punt now. No. You can't punt now. Again, as pe- I'm much more pessimistic than you, but I still think they got a chance to make the playoffs. You don't give up on a season in June unless you're the Oakland Athletics right yeah. now. No, there's there's no way. And And look, part of the reason I'm optimistic is that some of these guys – in my mind anyway, cannot possibly be this bad the entire season. Is Kyle Schwarber going to hit 166 over 150 games? All right, let me ask you a Schwarber question. Okay. Yeah, Schwarber is obviously the target of all your ire. Okay? Well, no, I mean, he's— no, he's he, the number one. He's, he's, yeah, he's he the leads, one I've He leads your chart. He does. We do the top 20, pick the top five. He's yeah. number one for you. G- great. Marcus Hayes, my colleague at the Inquirer. That's where I'm going. Wrote the other day. Great dude. That's where I'm going. Right Marcus did a really good column in which he made the argument that it's time to bench Kyle Swarber. He's a great teammate. He's a terrific guy. Uh, he's got, well, when Marcus wrote it, he had 31 hits all season, 13 homers. Not, not Can't field. Strikeout rate over 30%. Strikeout rate against lefties, 47%. We know all of these horrible numbers, and yet, he plays every day. Yeah. He led off last night. Yeah. Instead of sitting him, Rob Thompson had him at the top of the lineup. Do you bench him? 
I think about it, and I, I probably take him out of the lineup for a day or two, but I don't think you're turning this around by keeping Kyle Schorber out of the lineup. You're turning this around by figuring out how to unlock the hitter Kyle Schwarber has been throughout his career. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe that's why Rob Thompson put him at the top of the lineup last night. It's like, just try something. Get him back in the groove he was in last year when he hit 46 home runs. I heard uh, the manager speak, uh, I think it was the pregame show he was mm-hmm. doing with uh, Scott Fransky, and, and Scott asked him about it. He said, yeah, you know, he's, really, he's always been really comfortable there. Yeah. Well, I don't care if he's comfortable there. <laughs> but do you want I, him to hit or not? Yeah, but I want him to hit. Have given what he's doing now, I want him to have fewer at bats. So I, okay. so I agree with Marcus in the sense that I would I would like to bench him for a couple of days. Except that then I look at the bench and it's like I got Dalton Guthrie, who's maybe the worst player in the major leagues. <laughs> so I, I have no idea who I'm going to put in there. One of the problems the Phillies have right now is their bench is it's, awful. Yeah, they 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 don't have a lot of depth. Call up Rob Ellis. Yeah. Wow. You know, Delco's finest. Yeah. Um, they don't have a lot of depth. Got picked in their, off yesterday. In Rob, their rotation. Let me just say this. Yeah. The real Rob Ellis would never have gotten picked off. No, the, no. The, the real Rob Ellis is gritty, gutty, and and smart. Plays. Yeah. He's a very heady ball he's player. He's got game smarts. He yeah. does. You know, all, 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 you know, where did Rob go to? I'm I'm blanking on where Rob went to high school. Um, uh, but I, so there goes I, my I don't joke. Know, but, I, but, I, <laughs> but I promise you it was a Catholic school. Yeah. Cardinal O'Hara, I think uh, yeah, Dan Wilson probably. tells us. Yeah. Yeah. If he's in a Hara player, they're they're all smart that way. Okay, um, but no, you've got to get Schwarber going, and I can understand in the short term lowering him in the lineup or taking him out of the lineup entirely, but in the end, that's that's not the long term answer. Well, so my answer is I'm putting Trey Turner first, even though he's not hitting well because okay. I think he's he's my leadoff hitter. Turner, Stott, um, Harper. That's okay. the top of my lineup. Castellanos. You don't want to drop Stott based on the fact that he's on base percentage isn't great. Well, okay, Marsh. Uh, who's who's batting second? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what the I don't know what the the key is that you turn to make this happen. I wish I wish we knew, but you, they have too many guys who are not the guys they have been throughout their careers. That's that's just what's happening right now, and I don't know that there's a button you push or a key you turn to get them hitting. All right, one last question, and then we are going to. Uh, hold on. Rob Ellis went to Bonner. He wants to Bonner. That's it. That's hold on. I, I, my I, I, bad. I this. He just texted us. Let me. I love Rob Ellis. Rob is one of my favorite people here. Rob says, "I went to Bonner, and you can only hope to contain me." There you go. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Don't mess with Rob Ellis. Uh, where were we? Okay. One more question. We'll go to go to the break. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Really do want to get a lot of calls today yes. because. I'm swearing at my TV yesterday, and I imagine everybody else was, so it's it's a good day to come in and vent. Okay. Uh, how much blame does the manager get here? How much heat should be on Rob Thompson for all of this? I don't see Rob Thompson as being the primary problem here. Rob Thompson can't make Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler pitch better. He can't make Kyle Schorber and Trey Turner hit the way that they've always hit. He can't add depth to the bench. He can't stop Connor Brogdon from walking a guy with two outs and it leading to the game-winning run in the bottom of the eighth inning. I, I, I feel I get the idea that when you're watching at home or from the press box, you say to yourself, if he hadn't made that decision in that moment, maybe things would have turned out differently. But it's not about that. It's about guys who are underperforming. And 
I don't know how you pin that on Rob Thompson. I just don't. Uh, I I agree with you. I don't think I don't think he's doing a bang up job. And there are decisions I see, you know, every couple of nights. It's like, what the hell is he thinking there? Mm-hmm. Again, I wouldn't use Brogdon in that situation yesterday. It's, he came back and tied the game. Put in one of your three relievers you can count on. I know it's a bullpen game today, yeah. so I guess he's trying to save arms. Didn't want to use Strom, but she's Brogdon. Uh, anyway, that is the one. I, I will say this, Glenn, not to interrupt, but that is the one weakness I pick up on with Thompson. And this goes back to the World Series, too, last year, <laughs> where sometimes you've got to – I feel like he doesn't read the moment particularly well sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think you make a good point about Brogdon. Like, you need to win that game. Yeah. You just came back and tied it. You need a shutdown inning yeah, right give me, there. Yeah, give me, give me yeah. a Kimbrell inning right okay. there. Okay. Um, but the argument that you will hear, and I'm, I'm just tossing it out there, he doesn't have the personality anymore. He's too easy on him. You need a Larry Boa type to go out there and chew their asses right now. That's what you need. No. No, you don't. I'm and anticipating several calls. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, Joe Girardi had that clubhouse walking on eggshells throughout his tenure. Not because he was a yeller and a screamer, but because he was so intense. It's the line I always use about him. If you handed him a lump of coal, by the end of the game, he would have squeezed it into a diamond. That's good. Uh, you write that? Put that in a column? I think I did. That's pretty good work. Rob Thompson is not that guy, and he's not going to be that guy, and kicking these guys in the butt isn't necessarily going to cause them to start hitting. It just isn't. They thrived under this guy last year. They're not thriving him under him this year. I don't think it's necessarily because of the manager. You can't just change the manager every single time players are performing badly. It's not always on the manager. Uh, I agree with you, and I certainly agree that you can't change the manager all the time. Yeah. I'm not delighted with the job he is doing, but bringing in, I, I have no idea who you're going to bring in. They just gave him a contract yeah, extension yeah, no. in the offseason. Right. He, he, he's, not, he's not helping, but he's uh, if we're making the list of it, and I guess that is what we are doing today, mm-hmm. I start with Nola, you start with Schwarber. We've got a long way to go. Rob Thompson doesn't crack the top six or seven for me. No, and and again, I understand the they need to do something feeling, but if you're going to do something, you generally have to make sure it's a wise thing to do, and I don't think changing the manager is it. All right, here we go. So coming up on the show, we got to work Nick Nurse into that second segment. I, okay. We really got to talk about the Sixers' new coach. You were down at the news conference. You were an excellent column in the Inquirer today, which you can read on uh, Inquirer.com or in your uh, is it today's paper or tomorrow's paper? Uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow's uh, print edition of the Inquirer. So we're going to talk about Nick Nurse and what difference, if any, it makes that he is the manager. By the way, we've got some great TV talk coming up at 1125. We're going to save you from watching some bad sports by giving you some really good TV. And I will tell you, we'll offer the opportunity to win tickets to my charity event this Thursday, the aforementioned Fransky in L.A. Bedlam at the Bank Golden Ale Beer Release at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap on DeKalb Street in Bridgeport, 6 to 9 p.m. on Thursday night with Scott and Larry, Bernie Perrant, Philly Fanatic's going to stop in for a little bit. Mike Sealski's going to be there selling books, so I should have led with that. Well, yeah. Okay. I'm like, Rob Thompson is sixth on your list of Philly's problems, and I'm sixth on your list of yeah. Puddler's Kitchen and Tap. Among other things, and we'll give away some <laughs> tickets for that, too. Uh, 215-592-9494, and yeah, we're going to take a lot of calls to take us. We feel we feel your pain, Mike and Glenn on ninety four WIP. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now Saturday morning ninety four WIP. So um, real quickly, Rob Thompson yesterday or two days ago, excuse me, 
was talking about how, you know, there's a lot of teams got off to rough starts, and, and, and look at what they did. The last three National League champions started slowly, and, you know, the uh, – the, the, the Phillies last year were under 500 at this point, made the World Series. The Braves, 2021, mm-hmm. they were under 500. They won the World Series. The Nats in 2019 were eight games under 500. Did you feel like hearing that? Not especially. No, I did not. That <laughs> doesn't make me feel better. No, it doesn't. I, I will say this, Glenn, and I've, I think I've said this before on the show. Part of the reason that I maintain this level of optimism is that I try to push back on what I think is the way we talk about sports too much nowadays, which is that every single game in every single sport is the be-all and end-all of that team season now. Yes, well, welcome to Sports Talk Radio. Right, I know, and I'm still getting used to this. Uh, now, certainly that's, that's true to a great extent in the NFL because you only have 17 regular season games. But if you're talking about the NBA, the NHL, and particularly Major League Baseball, you can't look at every single game that way. And mm-hmm. so I do want to take a step back when I can and say, okay, it is 57 games. They have 105 left. There's time. Having said that, no, this is not great. And hearing about these other teams that were under 500 at various points of their seasons and then went on to make the World Series and make the playoffs, not all that reassuring right Swept now. by the Mets. That, that was bad. And That's then, bad. And then lose to Washington, fall into a last-place tie. It, it, the Mets sweep was bad not only because you lost three to the Mets, but because it gives the Mets momentum yeah. now, too. You yep. know, a division rival, probably your number one rival. Uh-huh. Now, now they're feeling better about themselves. Yep. Chris, in the Northeast. Chris, who's the biggest culprit here? Hey, how are you guys? All We're right. great. Um, I love listening to you guys. I, I, was, I was telling Dan... You get all riled up from 8 to 10, and then you guys come in and calm it all down, and I love that. Except I, I except listen every single Saturday. I, I appreciate it immensely, uh, and, and that you listen to Howard. I'm not I'm not feeling that calm today. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I'm, a I, I'm massaging Glenn's shoulders right now, yeah. Chris, just to calm him down. <laughs> not helping. Um, I, I, I'll try to be quick here. I, again, I listen every Saturday morning. My wife knows I'm going to drive Uber, and it's every more every Saturday morning just listening to you guys. Thank you. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, uh, so uh, so here's what I'm thinking. So give you some perspective here. It is extremely frustrating. It, it really is. But the organization puts their best foot forward every year. These guys do have a backside to that baseball card. I, I do believe what Mike's saying, that these guys – you know, they're, they're not going to be this all year. When it's going to come together, when it's going to gel, I, I, I'm, I'm keeping my hands together. I'm hoping I, I'm, I'm not going to stop being a fan. But put this into perspective. Think about being a Rays fan. Every year, for 26 seasons, they go low. They have a great farm system. I'm sure some of their fans at the end of the year are saying, just pay Wander Franco. Just pay him. No, that's not what we do. We let them go, and they go somewhere else. Not saying that the recipe is completely built through a draft, but a nice mixture of through the draft and bringing some key pieces, it's pretty clear that they can't get over the hump. They, I, last time I checked, they haven't won a World Series down there. And I'm not saying that. Okay. They're, they're, it's, it's a different – and, Chris, thanks for the call. I really appreciate the support. Thank you very much. The Braves and, and the Braves, the Rays and the Phillies are almost playing a different sport. Yes, and and the Rays do it by necessity, mm-hmm. and they're great 
at scouting and developing, which has been a real weakness of the Phillies. Mm-hmm. But I can't say, like, the Phillies should do it the Rays way or the Rays should do it the Phillies way. It's just not going to happen. No, but I do think what Chris is saying is that you can look at what the Rays do and say to yourself, the Phillies ought to have a little bit more of that. And I think his point was the Rays and their fans probably look at the Phillies and say, can't we get just a little bit of spending to put us over the oh, top? Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, if you're a Rays fan and you see the, it's, it's like the old Expos. You develop these players and then it's like they walk and they walk right. and they walk. And it's frustrating. How do you get loyal to somebody when they walk? I get that. All right, going to take a quick just a short break from the Phillies ranting, and I see on hold. I'm going to get you guys in a second, but we do want to bring in the Sixers because big thing happened this week. They bring in, they hire Nick Nurse. I thought it was the best available option. I, you, I knew you like Monty Williams, but you can't be upset with Nick Nurse, right? I'm not, I'm not upset with Nick Nurse. I think Nick Nurse is a very good coach. Uh, I think they did fine in hiring him. He has a track record with Daryl Morey. They've known each other for a long time. I have no issue with them hiring Nick Nurse. Okay. He's he's smart. He's tough. He's media savvy. I think he's going to stand up well here in Philadelphia. Uh, take out that pandemic season. He's 200 wins, 118 losses. He won that title in his first year. So, all is well, right, Mike? The, that that postseason magic that eluded Doc Rivers, is. we can now look forward to that next year, yeah? No. 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 Oh, no. No. Look, Glenn, I, let me start here first. When the Sixers traded for James Harden, I thought that was going to really reveal something about Doc Rivers. I thought that Daryl Morey had made this big move. He had kind of put the ball in Doc Rivers' court. I've given you a second superstar. Let's see what you can do with it. By the time the Doc Rivers' tenure ended, when they fired him after Game 7 in Boston, I had come around to the way of thinking that, you know what? No matter who the coach is, he isn't the primary problem. It's not about the coach, with certain exceptions, in the NBA. One of them's in the finals. Eric Spolster is the best coach in the NBA, I think. And to do what he's done over time with the various versions of the Miami Heat is wonderful. There are only so many Eric Spolsters. And I don't think Nick Nurse, based on the Sixers, the way their roster is right now, is the big difference. All right, so he spoke in that opening newser about – the team's inability and they need to get out of the second round. You guys have mentioned the second round to me twice already, and I, we're going to hit that head on. Like, we know, like, we're going to, we're, we're judged on how we play in the playoffs. Like, the same, it was the same in Toronto that we hadn't, we hadn't played that well, and, and certain players hadn't played that well, and all those kind of things. So, the reality is that's, that's the truth. So, I would imagine from day one we're gonna we're gonna talk about that, and that we're gonna try to attack that. You know, we're gonna we're gonna have to face it, and we're gonna have to rise above it. That's that's the mentality part I think that you're gonna have to take. Okay, so he's talking about how players, and, and clearly what he's and Embiid being the major part of this. Let's let's be honest. Absolutely. Who might win an MVP award? but aren't able to get themselves to play what you need to to play to the level you need to do in the playoffs to get past that second round which by the way is the focus of the column you wrote it is i mean he's he's ad- addressing that as head on as he can address it it is i just don't know how much of a difference a head coach makes in that regard so what i wrote in my column i dug up uh, some comments from bob myers who just stepped down as the golden state warriors general manager 
And he made these comments three or four years ago, and basically what he said was, the playoffs are when you evaluate players. And there are certain guys who might shoot 42% from three-point range during the regular season when they have two feet of room to shoot the ball. Come the playoffs, they're only going to have two inches to shoot the ball. And can you make that shot in those moments? That's where you're judged. Show me how the Sixers stack up by that standard. Mm-hmm. By that standard, they, they don't stack up. They don't. And, they've all, they, and they have chronically fallen short. And the question is, will he be able to get that out of Embiid? I mean, let, let's, let's say, let's leave Harden out of the conversation mm-hmm. for a moment. Embiid, Maxi, Harris. Right? That's it. Yeah. Those are the key guys that yes. have to do it in the playoffs. Yeah. Can he get it out of Embiid? I don't know. Now, maybe what Joel Embiid needs, it's possible that he needs a coach that comes back at him a little bit. Joel had a terrific relationship with Brett Brown. We've heard him talk about how much he respected and liked Doc Rivers. Nick Nurse has a reputation from his time with the Raptors of going at players publicly uh, and being tough on them behind closed doors. Maybe that's what Joel Embiid needs. I don't know. I think it works one of two ways. Obviously, it works in that Embiid finally gets it. Mm -hmm. Clearly, Embiid has the talent, has the physical skill to do it. Embiid is still developing as a player. The guy didn't start playing until he was, you know, in high school, and he gets better every year, except not in the playoffs. But I do think he has the capability to grow as a player still Mm -hmm. and maybe get that mental toughness, that postseason Jimmy Butleritis. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's 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 really the player we're talking about. about. Right. Maybe he does, so Nurse either gets it or this becomes a spectacular bleep show and Joel Embiid says, you know what, I want out of here. And you know what, either eventuality, like, I'm ready for that because I can't live with what I got anymore. There's another factor, too, here, Glenn. I was speaking to someone yesterday with a lot of NBA experience who made this point to me, which is that look at the lineup. Assume for the sake of argument that Harden comes back. And I think we saw this this past season and we saw at the end of last season once uh, the previous season, once Harden arrived. Embiid and Harden want to play slow. They want to walk the ball up the court. They want to play high pick and roll. Nick Nurse wants to coach fast. Yeah. Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris probably want to play fast. Yeah. That's, there's a structural and stylistic conflict there that I think the Sixers are going to have to overcome. And if Nick Nurse says, this is how we're going to play – and Joel Embiid doesn't want to play that way, what happens then? So, understandably, Nurse was asked, do you want Harden back? It's not a question he really can answer publicly. What's he going to say? No. (laughs) No, he's terrible and he should shave his beard. Right. He can't, but he did. There's something I thought was a little bit revealing in his answer. James Harden's a great player. I would say this is that um, uh, James has a decision to make, and – I'd be very happy if he came back. Okay, there was another part of it that uh, I don't have on this cut where he says basically if winning is his priority, he should want to come back. Yep. But I don't know if it is. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But no. that's what I got out of it. That's the If question. he's chasing money, then maybe not. But if he really wants to win, yes. And I thought that was not necessarily a shot at Harden, but certainly not the most supportive thing you could say. It's an insight into how Harden is approaching this. And other people have made this point, and I think it's a really good point. If James Harden is thinking about going to Houston, that's fine. He can do that. If, he, if he's that tied to the area and to the franchise, to the Rockets, go ahead and sign with them. But if he's causing him hesitation, 
about staying with a team that has a better chance of winning a championship than the Houston Rockets. Do you really want him on the team? Is no. it the best thing to bring him back? No, no. All right, so we add in the Sixers. We want to talk about that, about that and we definitely are looking forward to uh, having you vent about the Phillies today. And the question we threw out, because there's so many answers, is who do you see as the biggest culprit for where they are now, which is, let me check, oh, last place. Eight games back. Unbelievable. Um, I say, if I'm if I'm making a list, I start it with Aaron Nola, and you say? Uh, he's near the top of the list, but I start with Kyle Schwarber and okay. Trey Turner. All right. What about you? What do you say? 215-592-9494. Coming up, we're going to give you the chance to win tickets to my event coming up this week. It's going to be a simple and fun process for you to do it. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now. Hey, are you tired of dealing with those old, inefficient windows in your house? Maybe it's time to go Gaida. How about that drafty, beat-up-looking entry door that you painted over more times you can count? Well, go Gaida. You need added protection from the elements with a new storm door? Go Gaida. What about that sliding patio door, that garage door you've been meaning to replace? Go Gaida. Whatever your home improvement needs are, I suggest you go Gaida with the great people at Gaida Door and Window. To help you get your project started, Gaida is offering 20% off all windows and doors, while allowing you to start your project with no money down and up to three full years to pay them off interest-free. That's right. Receive 20% instant savings with the luxury of paying off your project interest-free for up to 36 months. Restrictions apply. Offers for a limited time. Hey, what are you waiting for? It's time you finally go Gaida. Call today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go gaida or visit them at gogaida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. All right. Um, we will get back to the calls and the topics coming up. 215-592-9494. Todd Zalecki joins us at 11. We'll see if he can put a, a shine on this thing that we are watching. But uh, I've mentioned this a lot, and you've been nice enough to help me, and I'm really proud of this. Um, the company that uh, I am part owner of, Concha Hawk and Brewing Company, um, has been putting out charity beers over the years, and we found kind of a good niche doing it with beloved Philadelphia broadcasters. So mm-hmm. we did one with Mark Zumoff a couple of years ago called Zooisms, which raised a lot of money for Philadelphia youth basketball. And it was a tremendous IPA. Yeah, that was a good beer. It was a good beer. And, I, and I'm not an IPA fan, but that was really good. Thank you. And then we did Merrill and Mike uh, in the fall, uh, which was a hefty beer. And then we made it into Mike and Merrill, and we sold a lot of those. And it benefited First Tee of Greater Philadelphia. We're really proud to raise a lot of money for them. And our newest release, which has come out just recently, is Fransky and L.A. Bedlam at the Bank Golden Ale. Had it one or two of them last night, as a matter of fact. Appreciate that very much. Yeah. Uh, and the money of that goes to the Philadelphia Youth Sports Collaborative, which is an umbrella group. It was David Montgomery's favorite charity when he was with the Phillies. And it really um, is to promote youth sports in and around Philadelphia, particularly for kids who would not have the opportunity to do it. So we made this beer. Uh, portions of each sale go to benefit that charity. And this Thursday night, we have kind of the big release party where we're aiming to raise a ton of money for the charity and provide people with a lot of fun. Let me unfold some of the things that are going to happen. Okay. All right. First of all, you're going to be there along with Todd Zalecki, who will be joining us, and Tyler Kepner, three terrific authors, all of whom have great books. You're going to do book signings, book sales, book signings. Appreciate your time. I do. Ah, It's going to be a great event. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Uh, We're also going to – there are T-shirts that are made – 
uh, by a company that Fransky wears an I Love L.A. t-shirt and L.A. wears the Parley Vufransky t-shirt. And he said, where can I get those? Mm-hmm. Well, the company that makes them, Hog Island Press, is going to come. They're going to sell them. Awesome. So we got that coming. Okay. Which is good. We have raffles. We have uh, live auctions. Some great. You saw some of the live auction items. The, the items are terrific. Yeah. Terrific. Dinner with Charlie Manuel. Ray Dinger's yellow legal pads full of Super Bowl notes, mm-hmm. which is pretty good. We have an autographed Bryce Harper baseball. Uh, you get to spend some innings in the broadcast booth with Fransky in L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also have a lot of stuff. Like, if you're not a high roller, we promise we have a lot of stuff that you'll be able to spend just a couple of bucks and go home feeling happy. Dinner with us is up for Dinner me. with you and I. That's right. At uh, Ralph's. At uh, Ralph's Italian Restaurant. Yes. Beers uh, with Jody McDonald and me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all kinds of things, and we really are, are hoping to get a, a, a nice turnout. It's only 20 bucks. By the way, people ask me, are kids allowed? Yeah, kid, you can bring your kids. That, that's not a problem. Um, Glenn will babysit your children no, during no, this event. No, no, no. Not, For not, the $20. I'm trying to fill the place with kids, <laughs> but if you're, you know, if you're bringing your, your teenager, whatever, bring them. Uh, $20 gets you in and gets you the buffet. It is at our place in Bridgeport, Puddler's Kitchen and Tap, 3 DeKalb Street in Bridgeport, right over the bridge from Norristown, right on the Schuylkill River. You can sit outside at our beer garden and have a good time. I think I covered it all. I think you did. It's going to be tremendous. The events at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap that I've been to always are. They're a lot of fun. Uh, And there's a lot going on. And, um, oh, we added a photo booth. Anyway, all kinds of good stuff. So here's the thing. We're going to give away two tickets today. Two tickets tomorrow, and today's is this. And I, I don't usually like to go negative with these things, <laughs> but I don't know where else to go in honor of what we've seen so far from the 2023 Phillies, the biggest flop in Philadelphia sports, history of Philadelphia sports. can be a team, can be a player, can be an executive, can be whatever. The good part about this topic, Glenn, yeah. is that there are so many possibilities. I know, and we're off at one, so, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> we may not even cover them all. Yeah, so here's the deal. Call with something else. Don't just, you know, we, we, we don't like people who just call the win contest. We appreciate that when we do this, it is designed to get some more callers, and that's okay. But I want to give out these tickets. I want to have people come and have a good time. So call us with an opinion on anything we are talking about and give us the biggest flop in the history of Philadelphia sports, and you win 215-592-9494. Like I said, there are so many potential right answers yeah. to this question. Yeah. Uh, and that I think we're going to get some terrific okay. responses, team-wise, player-wise, all of it. Okay. To me, there's a team, and to me it's a team in the last 15 years, and I don't want to give too many clues, but that's one that – could could walk mm-hmm. away with the prize. Yep. All right. While we're uh, while we're kind of on this, do you know that there is a there is a an, a feat that has never happened in, in sports history that amazingly is kind of on the verge or you're close to the verge of happening. Yeah, uh, we were talking about this before the show, and it's pretty remarkable. A single city has never won the NBA championship and the Stanley Cup in the same season. Never. Ever. Now, New York, not not New York, not us. So here's here's the history. They've been playing basketball and hockey for a long time. NBA started in the 40s, 40s right? yes. Yeah, Late hockey 40s. hockey started a zillion years ago. Um, Boston had three shots with the Celtics and Bruins in the finals at the same time. Never won it. And by the way, the last time was 74. Mm. 
Uh, New York tried it with the Rangers and Knicks. In 94. 94, yes. And 71? 94 is, yeah, 71, 72. Yeah, Good okay. work. There you go. Uh, where they both lost, 93, 94, the Knicks lost and the Rangers won. Now, that's an interesting year only because you had, think about this, Glenn. In 94, that's the first season after Jor- Michael Jordan's first retirement. So the Knicks go to the finals. And in 94, the NHL was rising in popularity. Mm-hmm. And you had the Rangers in the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah. So there was this perception at the time that the NHL was going to overtake the NBA in terms of popularity yeah, in I remember, this country. I remember those five minutes in yeah. history. <laughs> I think I was one of the people making that stupid argument. Yeah. Yeah. Just think about it. I know, I know. Hockey was big for about 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, if you're from here and you're old enough, you remember that 1979-80, yep. both the Flyers and the Sixers were in the finals, didn't win. That was the year the Phillies went to and won the World Series. Mm-hmm. The Eagles were in the Super Bowl. We had all four teams, but these didn't win it. Chicago had it and didn't make it in 92. New Jersey yep. almost got there when the Devils won and the Nets lost in, in 03. So here we are now. Oh, by the way, San Francisco or the Bay Area a couple times too. But here we are now. Miami. Yeah. Stick in Miami, one of the worst sports cities in America, one of the most undeserving sports cities in America. Yeah. Has now the 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 Heat's down one nothing. Mm-hmm. And is probably gonna lose that series. That's a long shot. Yeah. And the Panthers go in as an underdog. Mm-hmm. Although Sergey Bobrovsky, man, I'm not betting against him. No. I, I would not bet against that team in that series. I would not. So I I I don't want either of those. To, no, no, actually, that's not true. I want the Heat to win. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. I would like to see the Heat win mostly because of Jimmy Butler. But I can't stand Miami as a sports town. If Miami is able to accomplish something that we never did, that New York, Boston, Chicago, Detroit, real cities never did, then it's gonna it's a crime. Not only that, the nature of the runs that those two teams are making are very, very similar. Think about it. The Heat lost the first play-in game they played and were losing late in the second play-in game I know. <laughs> before they came back right. and won. They're the eighth seed in the conference. They knocked out the Bucks. They knocked out the Celtics, the two best teams in the NBA. They're now going against the best team in the Western Conference in the Denver Nuggets. If they win the title, you can make an argument, it's the greatest run in NBA history. Meanwhile, the Florida Panthers backed into the playoffs, were one of the last teams to qualify. In the first round, they knock out what is statistically the greatest team in NHL history, yeah, the, Boston, I know. the Boston Bruins. I know. And they've made this kind of miracle run. It so is, it, Both of them are actually pretty cool. It is, but it's not so cool that Miami is No, town. not my choice. <laughs> that gets to celebrate this. Yes. All right, let's uh, sneak in a caller here. Jim in Havertown. Uh, Jim, what's on your mind today? Yo, what's going on, guys? How are you? Good, except We're you good. sound, you got to get on the, the you got to get off the speakerphone. Uh, no problem, bro. I'll do that. Okay. <laughs> How's that, brother? Good. Um, what I want to tell you, um, what's the name? Joel Embiid, you know, he's set in his ways. He's had, what, six years, I think, of, of court time. What's he been here? Eight years, seven years. But hopefully he'll change his game. And I want him, anybody listening out there who has any contact with him, to please watch what Nikolai does, or Nikola. I'm saying the name yeah. wrong. Nick, Nikolai, uh, please watch Nikola him Jokic. and see who, he, yeah, see who he patterns his game off of. Tim Duncan, and then go get the tapes and watch Tim Duncan dominate as a big man. Put that ball up high, bro, over the defense when you pass the ball. Yeah, I don't Please know that. I don't know that Embiid's over. ever got that. 
I mean, I don't know that you can reinvent Embiid. You can. Oh, he, I think that's one can, thing I think he's got, brother. I think Nurse said that, didn't he? He's so, what's the name? A teachable and what's the name? Okay. He's improved. I do agree with he's improved almost every year. I agree with that. Opinion, so. I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. That, thanks, Jim. I, I think they're two different players completely, Embiid and Jokic. Watch the Nuggets play. Nikola Jokic is the nerve center of everything they do offensively. And what's really cool about the way he plays is that you can see his teammates love to play with him because if they get open, he gets them the ball. They cut hard to the basket knowing that Jokic will find them for a layup. And it just that style and that unselfishness kind of spreads throughout the team. Uh, Embiid is not that player. If anything, I think to improve his game, Embiid needs to be in the post more often and just backing – the opposing center or a smaller player down, throwing up a hook shot, you know. He's the physical play, guy. Yeah, playing like a more traditional center. One of the things that hurt the Sixers in that series against the Celtics was that they couldn't just throw the ball to Embiid and get baskets when they needed to. Yeah. Uh, and to me, it's a shortcoming in his game that he's got to find a way to fix. Let me sneak Dom and De- uh, Tom, excuse me, and Devin here before the break. Hey, Tom. Good morning, gentlemen. Hi, Tom. Uh, just, just with reference to the Phillies, uh, when when they signed Turner, it was kind of sort of like they won the World Series immediately. And and being Thomas and doubting Thomas, I guess the first thing I thought of was the dream team of the Eagles. Uh, and, you know and they're what? Playing the I, same way, eight I, and eight. I, I man, I see that so much. That was the team. That got they, it was a good team, and then they got so much better in the offseason. And everybody said, "Look at what they've added! They added Nam Diasma, they added Jason Babin, they added all these guys. This is going to really make them better. They're going to go, and they just flopped. They, they stunk. Vince Young, and I, I think, listen, Tom, you may win the tickets right there. It's a good one. It, it's uh, that, that, that's my only point. Uh, it just and and I'm not worried about the tickets, Glenn. Uh, I'm I'm an old man, and I wouldn't be able to get there. So. Okay. Well, right. I, 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 nonetheless, it was it it's was a pretty, great point. Yes, it is. It's a great point. It would be um, better if you can go to the event. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I appreciate his honesty. Yeah. The the one difference I'd cite though is that that dream team. Yes, were there high expectations for it? Of course there were. Were was it a bad team? Of course it was. Was it disappointing? Yes. That team did not sign the best player in baseball one could argue and Trey Turner heading into this offseason was a top regarded as a top five player in baseball was he Shohei Otani was he Mike Trout no yeah, yeah, but he yeah. was the best free agent out there do you remember who was on the cover of Sports Illustrated going into that season 2011 was it Nandi Asimo oh yeah was it really oh yeah wow oh yeah Google that Google Nandi Asimo Sports Illustrated cover he was seen as he was going to be the, the it was like greatest of the great well, maybe they knew he was going to be a terrific actor, and they were just getting ahead of everybody else. I've, actually, he I've, he's produced a couple things that are good. I, I saw know. him in a movie last year. He was, he was really good. He's pretty good. 215-592-9494. If you're on hold, stick around. We'll get you in the next segment, but we're going to check in with our pal Todd Zalecki and see if he's got an answer to what's wrong with the Phillies. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now, 94, WIP. All right, we have now covered everybody who's not playing poorly for the <laughs> Phillies, as Nick Castellanos with two home runs, five RBIs last night, a double, a single, and 
He's doing his part, but there are problems everywhere else in the kingdom. And when I look for answers, Mike Sielski and I try to go to Todd Zalecki of MLB.com, who is nice enough to join us right now. Todd, uh, thanks for uh, letting us uh, interrupt your Saturday morning. Sure, no problem. How are you guys doing? Uh, We're all good, man. You know, we're good. We're good. good. Be- better than the ball club you cover. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I almost don't know where to start. Um, I guess the place I will start is one of my big concerns is I don't see any reinforcements on the way. I don't see like, yeah, it's bad now, but it's going to get better because this is going to happen. I don't know anybody coming up from the minor leagues. I don't know anybody really coming off an injury. I mean, Bohm's out for a week, but they were playing poorly with him. Is there anything you're looking down the road and saying it's going to be better because of this? Well, the the only possibility, Glenn, honestly, is Andrew Painter, and he's probably several weeks away. Um, but I, I talked with Dave Dombrowski last week in Atlanta about about Painter and just what's going on with him. And I said, you know, you said in March when he went down with the UCL injury that you still see him pitching for you guys at some point this season. And I said, do you still believe that? He said, yes, I do. I, I you know, if he's pitching well and he's healthy, I, I see him you know, joining us at some point. So that, but that's basically it. And that's, you know, that's why Drew Ellis is on the team right now. Uh, Uh, When Alan uh, Bohm went down, you know, that's why they have Matt Strom starting today in a bullpen game because they have no starters down there that they think can do better than a bullpen game. So uh, the lack of depth that they have at the upper levels is is indeed concerning, particularly with the starting rotation. So, Todd, let's drill down on that just a little bit because it's something that's not talked about all that often as a reason that the Phillies are struggling the way that they are. How badly did Painter's injury damage them, and did they rely on him being in the rotation coming out of spring training too much? Did they put too much on the idea that this 19-year-old kid is going to be our number four or five starter, and so we'll be okay. Yes, I, I, I do think so. You know, they went into the, they went into spring saying it's going to be Painter or Bailey Falter, but clearly, I think a lot of people in the, in the front office wanted wanted Andrew Painter to get that job, and you know, they didn't sign any experienced veteran arms to you know, compete for that number five spot. Now talking to Dave Dombrowski, we asked him this a couple of times. He said, we looked, we tried to do it, but a lot of people, a lot of those veterans, they looked at our rotation. They said, okay, you got Nola, Wheeler, Suarez, and uh, Taiwan Walker. And then you have this young hotshot kid and Bailey Falter. I don't see much of an opportunity here. So I'm going to go sign somewhere else where I think I'm more likely to make the big league club. So I don't know how serious their pursuit was, but, but yeah, I definitely think that they, they, they put too much of their, you know, their eggs in that painter basket, you know, and, and that's, that's the big reason why they are where they are. And, you know, Bailey Falter last year pitched really well down the stretch. Well enough. This isn't saying a lot. He knocked Noah Syndergaard out of the rotation, but he did do it. And, uh, but obviously that didn't tra- translate this season. So that, you know, that they just really, really uh, a problem because I think they're one in nine in those those number five starter starter games. Todd Zolecki is our guest from MLB.com. Follow him on Twitter at Todd Zolecki. So you had a, a piece the other day that's really interesting 
where you kind of ask the unanswerable, which is, is there a sense of urgency here? And, uh, you know, players blasé and so on. And I, I got the sense, Todd, that they all gave you the right answer, which is, no, no, we really, we, we see the importance of this. But talk is one thing. The ability to turn it around is another. Um, I guess the question I'll ask out of that is, what's the state of the clubhouse right now? I think it's there's an incredible amount of frustration. So you know, you know, Rob Thompson, of course, you know, he's not the most exciting quote. He's not the most demonstrative manager in the dugout, right? So then I, I've been, you know, reading mentions in, on Twitter and comments and emails. People think, well, he's just too flat. He doesn't care enough. That's permeating into the clubhouse. I totally disagree with that. I think that these guys, you know, I talked with Bryce Harper about this the other day, and, and something that's going to come out later today. And he said, we have a lot of guys in this clubhouse that have been there and done that. And, you know, it's on us, kind of like Kyle Schwarber said it. But there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of disappointment. And I do believe there's a lot of urgency. Sometimes maybe that snowballs in the other direction. I think that might be the case with somebody like Trey Turner, where he signs a big contract. I mean, he's literally been one of the top ten players in baseball the last five or six years. Mm -hmm. And now he's hitting and playing like one of the worst. And it, you know... I, I think that that's somebody who is possibly trying too hard. Same thing with Kyle Schwarber. I can see on Kyle Schwarber's face that his his season struggles are just eating him alive. I mean, there's there's no doubt in my mind um, that it's killing Schwarber, and I think it's killing a lot of these guys in there because they went into spring training just like all the fans going, all right, we got Turner, we got Walker, we got Matt Strom, we made all these improvements, we have Andrew Painter coming up, we're gonna we're gonna rock it through. Um, you know, we're going to, we're going to pick up where we left off and we're going to play well. And then the exact opposite of this happened. They're tied for last place in the NL East with the nationals. And they're only a game ahead of the Rockies for the worst record in the national league right now. Ugh. Todd, when Glenn and I started the show, I threw out a theory that one of the Phillies problems is that they have a roster built to play baseball in 2022 and not necessarily baseball in 2023, that the rules changes are having an exaggerated effect on them and a negative effect on them because this is a team that was built to hit home runs and not to take advantage of putting the ball in play and stealing bases and maybe the pitch clock is affecting Nola and Wheeler and other pitchers on the rotation uh, more than pitchers on other teams. Am I crazy or is do you think there's something to this? I, I think there's something to it, particularly on the starting pitching side. I think, uh, you know, Zach Wheeler and, and Aaron Nola are not fans of the pitch timer. It's, I, it's affected, well, going into last night, I, I, I think it's safe to say that it affected Wheeler a lot less. And I'm not saying that's why he struggled last night. His command was not there. But I definitely think it's an issue with Aaron Nola. You know, he was one of baseball's slowest workers. And, you know, he said, he said several times, like, every – Ever since I started playing baseball, I was told if you get in trouble, slow it down, slow the game down, slow the game down. And now he cannot do that. And I think that there's been situations where runners get on base, and that really affects him. And, um, you know, Trey Turner was a guy that – I mean, I can't tell you every time somebody went up to Trey Turner this spring in Clearwater to talk about joining the field, it's like, you're going to steal 100 bases this year? Like, you're going to steal yeah. so many more bases, right, because of the new rules, right? And um, I don't know if that was ever going to be the case, but – as I like to tell people, it's tough for Trey Turner to steal bases when he's not on base, and yeah. he just is not on base enough. Um, Bryson Stott, you know, he got off to a great start. He hasn't been on base a ton, 
And so a lot of those base stealers just have not been on base enough. And, uh, you know, so I think that kind of plays. I thought Kyle Schwarber for, for sure. And that same thing, Kyle Schwarber, everybody in spring, oh, my gosh, you're going to love not having a shift because you're going to get so many more base hits. And it just has not happened for him. And I think with Schwarber, there's a little bit of bad luck coming into play with him. Yeah. By the way, uh, and I, and this is a different thing, but when Taiwan Walker said the other day that he thought he had a tough time because it was a day game, and he, he, <laughs> you know, yep. the, the one thing that a fan never wants to hear is that. No. So no. Um, we get callers who say, it's time to break it up. Let's trade. No, let's do that. And, and they can't do that. They're not going to do that. Um, yeah. and, and also we get a sentiment of like, you know what, it's going to be okay because Dombrowski – He's not going to sit here and take this, and Middleton doesn't want to do it. They're going to make moves. They're going to get better. My sense, Todd, is nobody's making moves anytime quickly. So if they make trades either to pack it up or to get better, it can't happen, I don't know, mid-July? 100%. 100%. I asked, I asked Dave Dombrowski that, that exact question again last week in Atlanta. Um, I said, what's – What's the price right now for starting pitching? Because traditionally, right, every all the big moves get closer to the trade deadline. He says it is in, the price for starting pitching right now is absolutely insane. He said, in fact, and he said, in fact, the starting pitching market is so uh, intense right now. They've actually had people call them and ask about some of their quote unquote depth pieces in AAA, which I assume would mean somebody like. Christopher Sanchez or they, Nick Nelson. They want to or, trade Brady Falter. I'm, I'm yeah. all in favor of that. The, the, the quote-unquote there, Todd, was delicious, right? <laughs> the quote-unquote depth pieces. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you're not going to get anything. You're not going to make any trade right now because I've, I've heard the same stuff. they got to make a trade. they gotta, they got to do something. It's like no, teams generally do not make trades right now unless they pay through the nose. And they're not going to trade Andrew Painter or Mick Abel or Griffin McGarry right now, one of their top three prospects right now. The, and, and I think another thing you mentioned there is, you know, are they going to sell or they, should they blow it up? They're not going to blow it up because as horribly bad as they've played, and again, they're only one game ahead of the Rockies for the worst record in the National League. As bad as they played, they're only four and a half games out of the wild card. And I know nobody wants to really hear about the third wild card right now. But they're they're more talented than this. They're better than this, and so they can make up four and a half games and get back in this with like two good weeks. So I, I think there's there's no panic in the front office right now. I don't think anybody's even thinking right now about um, yeah, possibly yeah. being yeah. selling. And now if they totally fall out of it, it's if it's July 29th and they are buried in the wild card race, which I find. I don't know if that will actually happen. Then maybe, then maybe it's a different conversation. So, Todd, you've got the pulse of the team. You've been covering the Phillies forever. Put a manager's hat on here. Would you like take the guys out to like an amusement park or something to kind <laughs> of get them not dwelling on how poorly they played? You mentioned how intense the clubhouse is, and guys know that they're playing poorly and. Uh, are really beating themselves up. If you were the manager, is there anything that you or Rob, <clears throat> excuse me, Rob Thompson could do to shake them out of this? Yeah, that's a great question. Rob, Rob said he has talked to the team a couple times uh, this season during during rough stretches, and you know, I, I asked kind of Bryce Harper about that um, the other day because again, there's a lot of people saying like, he's got to 
he's got to take a bat to the bat rack in the dugout. He's got to like shove some people around and scream and holler and yell. And he's got to rip people in the post game press. That that doesn't happen, you know. Like Charlie Manuel didn't do it. You know, managers don't do that anymore. Um, Bryce Harper said, "Listen, we we actually we actually like Rob Thompson. Does get stern with us. He does get at. He does jump us." Um, when things aren't going good, but he's like, but we also need somebody who, who who's not going to panic. And so they kind of like his calm, steadying hand. He says, if the manager is freaking out, then everybody in the clubhouse is going to be walking on eggshells. It actually makes the situation worse. So I, I think in the case of Rob Thompson, it's reminding these guys that they're better than they are, that they can be better than they are, that things will turn around and then just, you know, hoping that the players finally snap out of it. You know, they, in my mind, if Trey Turner hit like Trey Turner, if Kyle Schwarber has a June like he's had in the past, and if Aaron Nola pitches like Aaron Nola, I think a lot of these problems uh, go away. Maybe not completely because, you know, the, there's other th- Taiwan Walker has to get it together. But I think those three guys right now, if they would get on a roll in June, you know, Harper's hitting great, Castellanos is hitting great, Brandon Marsh is hitting great, Real Muto's in a, str- a slump right now. But if those three guys I mentioned get going, I think it would solve a lot of their problems. That's a lot of ifs, but hopefully it can happen. Yeah. Todd Zalecki, it is a pleasure, Todd. We will see you on Thursday, this coming Thursday, at Puddler's Kitchen at Happen, Concha Hawken, 6 to 9. You're going to be selling your great Roy Halliday book, correct? Yes, I'm looking forward to it. I've done I've done a couple events there, and it is, it is an awesome time. So, if, you know, if you haven't gotten your tickets yet or haven't planned, I would really – I mean, it's, it's a blast. It's so much fun. And by the way, people. tickets at the door. No, no, Nobody buys tickets in advance. Just nope. show up. It's $20 to come in. You get the buffet for the 20 bucks. You buy the books from Todd and Mike, Tyler Kepner. You you, you meet Fransky in L.A. Fanatic's going to stop by. Bernie Perrant going to auction the jersey right off his back, and it is a lot of fun. And I always appreciate your support. And the great beer. And Absolutely. I didn't you buried the, the lead, Glenn. Yes, Glenn, I that's did. Why I'm going. I that's know. Hey, Todd, all the beer you can drink on me, that's covered. Right, and, 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 and now we're in. Nobody's going to be able to read Todd's right. signature on their books. Yeah. It's going to be an X. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. The Fransky and L.A. Bedlam at the bank, pretty low alcohol. It's a summer beer. Mm-hmm. I think it checks in at 4.8%. That's so, nothing, yeah. yeah it's, it's a tailgate beer, so you guys should be fine. Hey, Absolutely. we'll see you then. Thanks so much. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, see you. All right, yep. there you go. So he's going to be there on Thursday as well. We're going to have a lot of fun. And, yes, it is Fransky in L.A., Bedlam at the Bank Beer, to benefit the Philadelphia Youth Sports Consortium. All right, let's let's uh, let's get uh, John in Ben Salem. He's been holding a long time. I believe his opinion is different than Todd's on the manager. John, what do you think? It is, Glenn, sadly. And hi, Mike. Um, hey, John. I just don't see Rob being the manager that's going to help us get out of this, like a Bobby Valentine, you know, let's get some runners in motion. You got a guy on second base and everyone's swinging through pitches. How about a bunt bunt? I've never seen this team suicide squeeze since he's been the manager. It just doesn't seem like he's doing anything to jumpstart the team. I I didn't want him to get the job, and when they did what they did last fall, you, you knew it was inevitable. I just don't think he's the right guy for this type of team that needs a spark. Well, here's the thing, though, John. You have to have the kind of players and the kind of scenarios present themselves where a manager can do something like that. Okay. If, you, if you look at the lineup, take your suicide squeeze example. Mm-hmm. Who, who are you going to have do it? It better be Trey Turner or, I guess, Bryson Stott because I don't know that anybody else in that lineup is equipped to pull off that play. And if it fails, if he tries it and it fails, I, I would argue, number one, it looks desperate. 
And number two, you're continuing the downward spiral because you tried something and it didn't work, and now they can't do anything right. I understand. That's a good point. It's valid. I would Scott is. That's what I was going to say. Bryson Scott has a lot of long at bats, but he never walks. It's the most unusual thing. It's like once it's to three and two or two and two, he's going to swing, no matter what. It's undisciplined. He's got some speed. He can be a spark plug, but it's almost like he refuses to take that fourth pitch, and it drives me nuts because he has great at bats. But there are times where he's swinging like you know Andre Dawson stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, great reference. Do you have the, uh, the biggest flop in Philadelphia I, sports? I do. I do, Glenn. And I will be there at the event anyway. I will say that Sean Bradley was oh, wow. in the history of sports. That is really – oh, man, that is a good one. That's nicely done. Um, we got his info. All right, he could win with that. You know, I know he's going to be there anyway, but I may let him get in for free with that answer. It, it's a great answer. And oh, yeah. there were a ton of expectations oh, on Sean gosh, Bradley. Yeah. Oh, he's going to change the game. But anybody who had watched him play at BYU kind of should have thought, like, this guy isn't really going to change the game. Uh, you were smarter than everybody else. I know. I, I, Second pick no, of the draft, I, seven foot six. I was 16 at the time. It's going to be a revolution. The only revolution was going on in the seats, people watching that stink. <laughs> I was 16 at the time. Uh-huh. I had no idea what I was looking at when I saw Sean Bradley. They got him, and I thought this was going to be great. But in retrospect, he just wasn't a very good basketball player. I mean, he now was fine. Now you tell me. Well, you know, now I have the expertise yeah, to be able to go. share with the greater Philadelphia area. Thanks. And and one last thing on Sean Bradley. He uh-huh. was in a terrible I know. accident Biking last accident. year. Yeah. And, you know, you should be sending good thoughts yeah, to Sean really Bradley, the, the person. That is, yeah. that is correct. That's, I agree. Lance and Collingdale. Lance, what's, uh, what do you think about the Sixers? Oh, man. How you doing today, guys? All We're right. great, Lance. Great, great, great. Uh, yeah, man, my Sixers comment is uh, I don't think Nick Nurse is the guy. Okay. Um, I, and just, I think that is more than just the uh, coach. I think that we need to, sorry to say it, but either blow it up or get rid of one of the two, Harden or Embiid. Because I don't think Harden has the I want to win. I think he just wants the money. And I think Embiid is just wanting to get the, the acclimate. You know, he just wanted to make that MVP and tired of Jokic winning. Now he's finally got it. I think he's okay with literally giving us another three more years and just being done. Well, I'll say this, Lance. I would not be opposed to them letting James Harden walk based on all the appearances that, A, Harden seems to want to play in Houston. B, he's going to want a lot of money. I I think that becomes the worst contract in the NBA if you sign him to a three-, four-year deal the instant he puts ink to paper. As far as Embiid goes, you're not trading him. You're just not. The reason you tanked and the reason you teams get high draft picks is to get players like Joel Embiid. He's a great right. player. He's a tick below, I think, some of the other great players in the league, and that's why you see them struggle to get past the second round of the playoffs. But in the main, I'm with you. I, I like Nick Nurse as a coach. I'm not sure the coach, whoever it is, is going to make the big difference here. Yeah, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's not that you dislike Nick Nurse. You just think the, the coach isn't the issue, and 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 that makes sense. Uh, Lance, biggest flop in Philadelphia sports history for the tickets. Did the first guy already say the 2011 Phillies? No, he said 2011 uh, Eagles, the Eagles. dream team. Yeah. No, the 2011 Phillies, man. We had the best We had the best pitching, like, of all time. We had, like, the best pitchers ever. Well, and due to injuries, 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 we kept getting, you know, we, we just couldn't do what we needed to do that year. No, you're thinking, of, you got to be thinking of something else. No, he's he's right. He's thinking of, you know, the the four aces. 
and win 100 games. They won 102 games. And then they bow out in the first okay, round. Okay, so that's his point. I thought his point was they didn't do anything all year. You're saying, you're interpreting what he's saying as this was the best team during that whole run. They won 102 games. They cruised to the East, and then they got knocked out of the playoffs. Exactly. Okay. I'll consider that as an argument. Judge Mac now will take yeah, my argument under, under consideration. Hey, coming up, listen, we know sports has been rough for the last couple of weeks with what happened to the Sixers and what the Phillies are going through right now. But there's a lot of good stuff to watch on TV. Coming up, we're going to tell you about a great show that's currently on that I'm going to watch, that I'm going to advise you to watch, and Mike's going to talk about the finish of another great show. No spoilers. Nope. Okay. 215-592-9494. We'll keep taking your nominations for the biggest flop in Philadelphia sports. You can win some tickets. Uh, with Mike Sielski, I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. All right. What we're watching is sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Receive 20% off all windows and doors with no money down. Up to three years to pay it off interest-free. Call Guided Door and Window today. one 877 or visit them at goguida.com. Now, we got a couple things we want to talk about here. We do. Okay. I want to tell people about a show that I am watching and really enjoying called White House Plumbers. So HBO or Max, I still can't figure I don't know <laughs> what so they're doing. It's so stupid that it, they did that. Right. There's no more iconic brand in TV than HBO. Everybody knows what HBO is. I don't know why they're training it. But anyway, they have a comedy series right now called White House Plumbers. stars Woody Harrelson, uh, Justin Thoreau. And Lena Headley, yes, Cersei Lannister is on this. Last we saw her, what, Dan, burning down Westeros? She <laughs> is now a 1970s housewife and CIA operative. That, that's, I know I'm kind of going afield, but the weirdest part of me is watching her in another role where she's like a regular mm -hmm. person in the 70s. Yeah. Because I know who she is and what she's done. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh uh, it is. It's one of the interesting dynamics. As as you get older, you're watching fictionalized versions mm -hmm. of things that you lived through. Well, that 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 I did, and this this is a broad comedy. It's there's like a slapstick farce, and sometimes based on Watergate. And for those too young to know, which may, <clears> may, <throat> yeah, <clears throat> Watergate was the third-rate burglary of the Democratic National Headquarters in Washington, 1972, funded by the committee to re-elect President Nixon. Mm -hmm. It set off the biggest political scandal in American history, Nixon resigning. Uh, by the way, if you really want to learn about it, watch the movie All the President's Men. One of my ten favorite movies. Well, trivia fact, that prompted me to go into political journalism a couple of decades ago. That was an inspirational movie that set me on my career. This is a full circle what we're watching. It, it is. Anyway, this is a five-part miniseries that recreates that event, mm -hmm. the robbery. It doesn't focus on Nixon, doesn't focus on Woodward and Bernstein, um, but it focuses on the men behind the crime. The the so-called plumbers, because they were called plumbers because they fix leaks, <laughs> among other dirty tricks. <laughs> and that's what they do, a lot of dirty tricks. It is written by the people who did Veep and Larry Sanders oh, for HBO. Yeah, then it's going to be well written. It is directed in large part by a guy who directed a bunch of Curb Your Enthusiasms. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Frank Rich is the executive producer. He produced, He's one of the people who produced Succession. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a lot of good talent in there behind the scenes. Lots of laughs out loud. Woody Harrelson is great. He's all full of bluster, and he's, he's a real broad, fun character. Watch this thing. And by the way, watch it. 
If you are watching it or plan to watch it, I don't want to give away it's a little spoiler. There's a character named Dita Beard who was a lobbyist who got caught up in these scandals. And see if you can identify the actress. I guarantee you know the actress. I guarantee you'll watch it and go like, Wait, who, who the hell is that? Hmm. And it'll floor you when you realize who that is. Anyway, what I, I sometimes try to give you like what this show is. This show is Veep meets Benny Hill. Oh wow! Oh my god! So that's I, quite the combination with there. a little with a with a little bit of history. So watch White House Plum. It's interesting you point out the actress playing the role, and you won't believe who it is. Yeah, it makes me think of what to me is the all time example of that, which is the movie, the comedy Tropic Thunder. Yeah, I like I watch that, which like is that. one of my favorite movies. Yeah. and only at the end do you really realize that Tom Cruise is in the movie yeah. and is the funniest character yeah. in the whole thing. Yes, yes. Um, great. Well, I don't get HBO, so I'm not going to watch White House Plumbers anytime soon. But I spent Thursday night, after my wife Kate went to bed, binging the final three episodes of this season and of the entire series of Ted Lasso. I just want to interject. If I watched Ted Lasso without my wife, I would be in the doghouse for weeks. Well, she's going to catch up. Uh, but I felt like I needed to watch them all to adequately prepare for today's show. I don't want to give away anything. No, really, no, no, no. Because, and, and this is something that, that comes up a lot when we do this segment. And, of course, you know, you've been dealing with this, doing the segment with Ray for as long as you did. The idea of a shared experience in watching something has changed over time, right? Yep. I can remember being in high school going into class on a Friday morning after the final episode of Cheers, and it was all anyone talked about. Yeah. What did you think? You know, the closing scene, the jokes, all this stuff. That can't happen anymore uh, because of streaming services and binge-watching and people getting turned on to different series at different times. So I don't want to give away anything about the end of Ted Lasso because I'm sure most people— who have been watching the show, haven't watched it fully. I, I literally have one more to go. Yeah, so yeah. there you go. I, I will say this. It's not perfect. There are some loose ends that they don't tie up. Uh, the episodes, for whatever reason, this season got too long. They tried to stuff too much into them. Having said all that, I have such affection for the characters uh, that I enjoyed the final three episodes, enjoyed the ending of it, and I say this in part because it's my father's 75th birthday today. Oh, happy birthday, Mr. Sealski. Happy birthday, What's your dad's first name? Chuck. Chuck. Chuck happy birthday, Chuck. Um, and there's an aspect to the final episode, a song that is played. One of the cool things about Ted Lasso is the music that yeah, they use. it is. And there is a song that is played at the end of that episode. And by the time that song is finished playing, I was a puddle thinking about my father, thinking about my two sons. So I'll leave it at that. I don't want to give anything wow. away. Okay. But it was, I, I, I had tears at the I end of it. see you're a little emotional right now. Uh, well, no, 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 no. And I'm happy just... birthday, Mr. Sealski. <laughs> I'm not welling um, up now. Okay. But Thursday night, it, you yeah, know, very it late I you. was. So, um, I'm a softy, Glenn. I am. Ted Lasso is, was the perfect show for the moment when it came out during the pandemic and everybody was depressed and locked at home. And the world was re in a really bad place. And here comes this really sweet, fun show with this different character that Jason Sudeikis created that was so fun and uplifting that it was, 
it was great. It was perfect. It was a breath of fresh air. I mean, air. you know, I yeah. watched some stupid show about a tiger. Tiger that, King, yeah. Yeah, during, I during tiger the King pandemic, too. and it was trash, but it was fun trash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we all watched the Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls yeah, thing, and that was, that was really yeah. good. But to me, the TV I will most associate always with getting me through the pandemic was Ted Lasso, and it did it marvelously. I haven't liked the last couple seasons as much as the first. Mm-hmm. But still, I, I like it enough that I'm invested in it and I'm watching it. I wanted to go, and to your point, and you you made a really good point, which is how we don't, the great thing about TV now is you can watch it whenever you want. And you have the flexibility to DVR it or to call it up however you like. And you can watch Ted Lasso on Thursday and I can watch it on Sunday or I can watch all of it in a night or mm-hmm. I can spread it out. And that's great. Except we do lose something. We do lose that shared community experience if we're all watching the same thing at the same time. And I remember when I used to do the show with, with Anthony Gargano, and we were on, and we had Monday, Sopranos Monday. Yep. And we had, because everybody watched Sopranos on Sunday when it came out. And I guess you probably had the chance to watch it later, but I think with Sopranos, nobody was going to not watch it right. when it came out. And. It was fun, and we'd go over the storylines. We had Stephen, uh, what's his name, Shapara Sh- Sh- on, Bobby Bacala on one week, and Vincent Pastore. Mm-hmm. We got him one week, and we'd like really deep dive into it and so on. And we can't do that now. No. And, and I love doing what we're watching. Mostly we do it to like tell people about shows they may not know. Mm-hmm. Ted Lasso's one everybody knows. And in talking about it, we can't, we can't do what we want to do, which is, can you believe that moment and discuss it? Yeah, and especially that's true because there is so much content out there now. There are so many shows that it's hard enough just to find another person who is watching the same thing that you are. Yeah. Like, like you spoke last week about Succession and how Yeah, wonderful. that ended. You can't yeah. talk about that ending. Well, you can't talk about it not only because the people who are watching the show maybe haven't seen it, but the finale of Succession was watched by less than three million people. I know. I, I feel like I know every one of them. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, there's an, an episode of NCIS. I don't understand gets, how Like, that's eight possible. million people. How is that? How, everybody watched the last episode. Everybody <laughs> I know did. Yeah. Um, what's, what, there's an old line about uh, yeah. uh, Pauline Kael, who was the, yeah. the writer for the, the film critic for The New Yorker. Yep. She couldn't understand. How, yeah. Couldn't understand how Richard Nixon won the election. Everybody I know voted for George McGovern. Yeah, I know. Um, but that's that's that was part- my mother-in-law too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my mother-in-law that's- never understood how Dukakis lost. My mother-in-law, by the way, lived in the same hometown as Dukakis and couldn't understand. And so how when he lost, she's like, "I don't know how he lost. Everybody voted for him." It's like, <laughs> yes, because they live three blocks from right. Him. It's a big, broad, diverse yeah, country. The, the world's not Brooklyn, Massachusetts. Yeah, but but to your point about pop culture, that's the difference now. Is that everybody's watching whatever they want to watch at whatever time they yeah. want to watch and. Part of the shared experience of pop we culture is being able to talk about the it. The water cooler moments yep. over TV don't exist anymore. They don't. And that's it's too bad. Again, there's it's there's there's the blessing and the curse. So watch Ted Lasso yes. to the end, and maybe like Mike, you'll find it a touching moment and be a just bubbling vat of tears. <laughs> so I got it. And I, I, I wasn't bubbling. I could say, okay. I'd say I'm a vat, but I wouldn't okay. say I'm bubbling. All right. And and give a try to White House Plumbers on HBO. I thought it was really funny. Uh, I probably enjoy it more than you because I, I lived through it. Right. But oh, I still I'm sure think I would like it. I still think yeah, it's funny. I'm sure I would like it. All right, here we go. 
Uh, back to the phones, 215-592-9494. Alex in Springfield is with us. Hey, Alex. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Hi, Alex. Um, first, I have a question for you. Do you think that the Phillies baseball players, the team, are better than what they are have shown so far, or do you think they're not that good? I think they are better than they what they have shown than- so far. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I don't think Kyle Schwarber is a 166 hitter. Trey Turner has never batted 235 over a full season. Uh, Aaron Nola is not this bad a pitcher. Uh, they are underperforming. Right. So I would agree with all of that. So uh, this is my question to you, I mean, my, my comment. Um, the Phillies turned it around last year when Girardi was fired, who, if I remember correctly, the papers all said that the, the players didn't like him so much. So my opinion would be, fire a coach that they do like. Maybe that will light a fire under them. I don't think you can. You don't want to fire a coach every year, and you don't want to fire a coach who won the World Series. Excuse me, won. He didn't. Who got you the World Series last year, and I don't think he's the problem. I don't think they're playing poorly uh, because of him. I think they're just playing poorly. What do you think another manager would do? Well, what I I, I don't think that the the, um, Major League Baseball players on the Phillies team and maybe all the other teams respond to the manager. I think they have to respond internally to themselves and okay. put pressure on themselves. I agree. So what's a new manager going to do? No, it's not about the new manager. It's about the fact that they lost the, jo- that lost the job for a guy that they did like. But well, that, no. guy was here, that guy was here for whatever, four years before they fired him. I, 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 if you want to fire Rob Thompson, which I think is what you said, you have to tell me how a new manager is going to make things better. I don't think any man. I don't think a manager at all is going to make it better. Only the players can do that. Okay, so well, so here's the thing, Alex. I, I would I would take issue with uh, the way you characterized Girardi's firing last year. I, I don't think it was a matter of the players disliking Girardi as the reason he was fired. I think it was more a matter of Girardi was uptight. He was creating an atmosphere that wasn't conducive to them being at their best. The problem this year, if you heard Todd Zalecki. Uh, in our interview with him earlier, is that the players are putting that pressure on themselves. They have no issue with Rob Thompson. The problem isn't Rob Thompson creating uh, pressure on his players or a bad atmosphere. The players just aren't performing, and they're they're killing themselves in trying to do well. 215-592-9494. He's Mike Sielski. I'm Glenn Mack now. Uh, among everything we're asking, give us the biggest flop in Philadelphia sports history. We're in a pair of tickets to my charity event this Thursday, Fran Scandelli, Bedlam at the Bank Golden Ale release night at Butler's Kitchen and Tap. Hey, you tired of dealing with those old inefficient windows in your house? Maybe it's time to go Guida. How about that drafty, beat-up-looking entry door you've painted over more times than you can count? Well, go Guida. If you need added protection from the elements with a new storm door, go Guida. What about that sliding patio door, that garage door? Man, you've been meaning to replace that. Go Guida. Whatever your home improvement needs are, I suggest you go Guida with the great people at Guida Door and Window. To help get your project started, Guida is offering 20% off all windows and doors while allowing you to start your project with no money down and up to three full years to pay it off interest-free. That's right. Receive 20% instant savings with the luxury of paying off your project interest-free for up to 36 months. Restrictions apply. Offers for a limited time. Hey, what are you waiting for? It's time you finally go Guida. Call today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Well, 
one of the things that is not helping the Phillies is they don't have Alec Bohm. Not that they were great with him, but Alec Bohm was in the top 10, uh, may still be in the league in RBIs. He is out of the lineup with a strained left hamstring. Uh, our pal, Dr. David Gelt from Cooper Bone and Joint, joins us now. Doc, this is probably the most boring injury we've ever asked you about. I mean, you know, we, we've, had, we've had stuff where people are having body parts sewn back on, but. Uh, That's right. Yeah, let's just, let's just talk about the ha- the hamstring man. Hamstrings seem to be m- injured more often than any other body part in sports, particularly baseball. Is that fair to say? Uh, it's definitely up there. I mean, besides the ankle sprain and stuff like that, any any soft tissue you're going to have an issue. But you know, going from a stop position to a quick sprint, you know, side to side or something like that, you feel a tweak and you get a pain in the, the back of the thigh and usually a hamstring, which we know depends on how bad it is. It can last for a week or two, or it can last for six to eight weeks. So it's it's a tricky bugger. All right, so he's on the 10-day IL. Um, I guess just uh, using the medical term tricky bugger, as you just did. That was in the That's textbooks, right? right? <laughs> it was, it was. <laughs> there you go. You, you, using that one, Gray's Anatomy, I think, has that. Yes. Yeah, uh, using that, is it unpredictable if when those 10 days pass, it's like, oh, he'll be fine, he'll be back? Yeah, it's sort of a wait and see to see how they do. Um, you know, it's I think we've talked about it before. Sometimes it's you know one step forward, two steps back, and sometimes you push it a little bit, and then you can sometimes irritate it again, and then just a vicious cycle. So you have to make sure that everything's doing well. You're you're advancing slowly, but making sure that there's no irritation there because sometimes you just try to push a little more, then you can be back to where you were. So hopefully it's nothing severe. I know I had an MRI. I didn't know what the report said about it, but hopefully it's nothing significant and. You know, a little time rest and some rehab, and he'll be back, and hopefully uh, restart the Phillies to a win. Uh, doctor, would it be advantageous for the Phillies, and Boehm has played first base already plenty this season, to keep him at first base? Would that you know, help with the recovery, lessen the chance of uh, him re-injuring it, anything like that, or do you think about those uh, things one way or another? It, it, it can, except you know, as you know, in first base, if you don't have a good throw and he tries to stretch out, and you know that can also injure his hamstring too, so it's hard to say, but I know uh, Derek Hall may be coming back too soon, so True. you know we can add him. Yeah, this uh, this kid Ellis that they got up there, man. He he's he's had 100-something at-bats in the major leagues, and his, batting, his career batting average is like 121. Yeah, and he doesn't exactly, based on last night, run the bases. No, much which, by the way, this whole team, man, this, this team's terrible at running the bases. All right, Doc, uh, we're doing a little That's bit of a theme to, today um, and kind of looking at this this team and what a bust it has been on the biggest bust in the history of Philadelphia sports, player, coach, team, owner, whatever you got. What do you got? Yeah, so we had a, a ton of hype with him. He he was here for a little bit of short time, and he had a great six weeks of baseball, and it was about the next up and coming. That's uh, Dominic Brown. Oh, that's really good. That's a good one. That's really good. That's a good one. And I know Dominic and like Dominic. Uh, I Cowboy did a, fan. Yeah, I did, <laughs> I did a story on him <laughs> a couple of years that. ago. Uh, yeah. He's now a, a hitting instructor. Uh, kind of runs his own clinics mm-hmm. uh, in the suburban Philly area. Really nice guy, and really looks back on his time in the majors, kind of understanding why it didn't go well for him, which yeah. I give him credit for. But yeah, I mean, self reflection is nice. Didn't do us any good. Yeah, for production would have been better. <laughs> yeah, it would have been better. Uh, it would have been nice. Yes, Absolutely. Doc, that is a great one, and it's uh, hey, it's always a pleasure talking to you, man. Have a great week. All right, guys. All you right. too. Have a Thanks, good thank you very much. He's always got a good answer. For he does. Stuff, he does. He he listens and he knows. If he's as good a doctor as he is a Philadelphia sports fan, his patients are getting great treatment. So I would really like to see Bohm get back 
And I think before this season, I said, you know what? This is going to be Bohm's bust-out season. Mm -hmm. And it really hasn't been. No. I mean, he he has had a lot of RBIs, and that's good. But, like, none of his other numbers are special. He's still – his OPS is 735 yeah, or something. Yeah, and, and – Like, the, the, he – his stardom never arrived. And throughout spring, you heard about the muscle that he had added, and he was going to drive the ball more often this season. And you're right, Glenn. It didn't really materialize, and now he's hurt. Uh, and what that leads to is – you're playing now Edmundo Sosa more and more, yeah, weakening the bench. Right. You know, we talk about the lack of depth. Well, Sosa was going to be one of their top bench players, if not their top bench yeah, player. Yeah, Sosa, I want 250 at-bats for the season. That's right. what I want. It's the Charlie Manuel. Yeah, line, right? Charlie Manuel, and he explained this to me so brilliantly. Charlie Manuel is like there are certain players who can play every day and most can't. Yeah. And Sosa's probably not a play-every-day guy. The, if the guy like that plays every day, you see his weaknesses. Yep. Yep, and and that's what we're seeing. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, let's uh, get Robert in Germantown. What's what are you thinking, Robert? I'm thinking about a nice cold beer, Glenn. Looking forward to your event. Beautiful, I'm, uh, excellent. Up. I can't wait to see you there. Thank you. I'm gonna try to make it. So, anyways, Eskin stole my thunder a little bit earlier this morning. I was listening in, but you know, I, I took a quick dive. The uh, total budget for the Tampa Bay team is uh, here. It is seventy-seven million dollars a year. Yeah. And they get 40 wins. Our total budget is $244 million a year, and we have 25 wins. So what's wrong with this picture? Well, the difference is that the Rays do that out of necessity uh, and have been one of, if not the best, teams in terms of finding and developing talent because they've had to be. Uh, they cannot spend what a team like the Phillies does, and that's it. There's nothing else to it, Robert. Isn't it organizational choice? I mean, it seems like we're choosing to try to build a team by, oh, yeah, here's another $300 million, here's another $200 Yeah, but uh, million, I'm going to push back on you to this extent, okay? okay. Um, and okay. It, as Mike says, the, the, the Rays are doing it out of necessity. They just don't have the money, and they happen to have really good scouts and really good development. The Phillies oh. were in the World Series last year. This, this is not a franchise that, you know, is, is not without success. Well, sustained success, though. Maybe it was just a lucky year. Maybe they over, or maybe they got excessively lucky last. Maybe, year. but if if, right you, if you just look saying. if you look at the amount of talent on this team, they should be winning. Yes, but why aren't they? Well, because they're underperforming. Uh, I do hope I see you Thursday, and I and I always appreciate your opinion. I've heard a lot of comparisons to the Rays today. I'm I'm not sure how that became like a thing to discuss. They're not the Rays. No. They, they don't have the. They, you know, the bad news is they don't have the farm system of the Rays. There's not an excuse for that. They haven't been good at that. Right. And right now, when you look at the injuries, they got nobody to call up. Again, they're calling up Rob Ellis. They're 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 having a bullpen game. They're, yeah. They they're, don't. They're relying on Bonner alumni. Right. That's <laughs> you know, all due respect, it's not working for them. No. Um, but they're never going to be the Rays. Big market cities don't do what the Rays do because what the Rays do is they turn around guys and trade guys when the. Phillies fans would not want to be the Rays. No, I think whenever a guy gets good and approaches free agency, he leaves. I, I think the comparison is is coming out of the fact that we're talking a bit about their lack of organizational depth, and that's a real thing. Go going back to when they were winning the National League East five years in a row, it was almost like um, it was almost like an Easter egg. You know, you paint the outside and it looks beautiful but there's no yoke underneath. That's the way the organization was at the time, 
And that's the way it stayed for a long time thereafter. Well, except that they they had guys in the farm system and they traded those right. guys. You know, that's how you got Roy Oswalt. That's mm-hmm. how you got all those. That's how you got Cliff Lee back. You right, traded but, for those. And they you used re- those guys. The farm system as chips. Yeah. And they didn't replenish it in the years thereafter. It, it, it took them a long, right, long time. Correct. Uh, and even now, I'm not sure. It's not much. Yeah, I'm not sure how how deep they are now. Wait, not, not much that's ready. They may have guys down in single A ball who are tearing it up, but they're not going to be here anytime soon. Right. Um, as I said, the, the Rays do what they do because they have to do it that way, and so they're going to pour every available resource they have into finding and developing really young talent because once that talent starts to age and hit free agency, Tampa can't afford to keep those players anymore. Yeah. So. Um, it doesn't mean the Phillies can't develop players. It just means that Tampa is doing what it has to do and doing it very, very well. Let me sneak in one more call before the top of the hour. Mike in Maryland wants to vent. Have at it. Hey, hey Glenn and Mike. Long time listener, man, but uh, I was at the game last night with my, with my son, and it's oh. just so frustrating. Luckily, we live in Maryland, and my in-laws have season tickets, so I have to pay any money. Mm-hmm. But I feel bad for the guys that are coming back from home, coming down to watch these games. And there were a ton. And, I know that the team actually sent a bunch. A lot of the people who work for the team went down there. Oh, it was packed. The whole third base sides where we were sitting, it was all full of Phillies fans. We're getting, we're going at it. But the first inning, you know, you just you get two guys on, we're pumped up, strike out, fly out, strike out. It's like the fundamentals. Schwarber gets beat on an easy fly ball. Marsh gets beat on the line drive. That's a, that, that, that alone let up four runs, the Marsh play. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I keep thinking Marsh is smarter than he is, or, or you know, and I, from a baseball sense. Yes. I really like him as a player. I really like his speed, I, you know, but he, uh, both on the base pass and on defense, he makes a lot of dumb plays. Yeah. I mean, that alone, in my opinion, has cost us four runs at inning. So, yeah, it didn't you make that bad. play, we get out of that. Yeah, the, the new guy Rob Ellis, you know, playing, uh, you know, gets picked <laughs> off at first base. It's just, it's, it's just, I can't His you. name I'm is like, Rob Ellis. There is no, he's is not any. I guess he's. The, who, I, is there any other Ellis? You do your list sometimes of the top. Oh, top five. Uh, would you do the top Ellis's today? Oh well, local Rob Ellis is number one. Yes, that that goes yeah. without saying. I want your top Ellis's on on Twitter before the end of the okay, day. Okay, well, I'm ju- I'm just coming to mind. Like yeah. Doc, Doc Ellis would have Doc to be Ellis in the top is five. There. Yeah. Um. The Phillies' Rob Ellis would be like five thousand four hundred seventy fifth. Yeah, the guy in the Phillies. Yeah, yeah. Um, I right. have to think I need about that. Other yeah, Ellis, take your time. Val- Ellis Valentine. Ellis Valentine's a good one. Yeah, Mike, do you have a biggest bust in Philadelphia sports history? Did anybody say Namdi Asamoah yet? No, and that's a really good one. You may win tickets to my event. Good stuff. Well, let's uh, let's take a break. Namdi was the big one, and you and I we, we kind of talked about him earlier, but not in this sense. Um, Oh, I forgot. What was the caller's name? I meant to write it down, and I Mike. did. Mike. Mike, 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 Mike. Mike from Maryland. Mike from Maryland. Okay. Um, yeah, Namdi came in, and he was, as I said, on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He was all that. He was the guy. He was a great player on a bad team in Oakland. He was going to be great here, and it turned out like he was more interested in everything else other than being a good player. Has become a successful actor. Married Kerry Washington. He did well. Winning at everything in life except being an Eagles corner. I saw a movie that he produced, actually, that was really good on Apple TV where about uh, bankers, about black bankers in the South. Oh, wow. I'm going to get the name because I recommended it. It was It's a really good movie. He had one of the leads in a Jessica Chastain movie that yeah, came okay. out last yeah, year. Well, good. It would have been nice if he could have covered the, the guy in the New York Giants. You know what I mean? <laughs> that would have been nice. 
Uh, what is that guy? Cruz? Remember the, uh, Victor Cruz. He could they not, couldn't tackle him. He could not cover Victor Cruz. Couldn't cover Cruz. him, couldn't tackle him. No, not at all. All right. 215-592-9494 coming up. Tim Bontemps from ESPN will come on. He was there for the Nick Nurse press conference on Thursday. He'll talk to us about the Sixers, what they're doing, why they're doing it. Coming up. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. That was brand new Sixers head coach Nick Nurse trying to make the case to James Harden to stay and play and chase a championship instead of going back down to Houston and chasing money and his own personal satisfaction. (laughs) I am Mike Sealski. That snicker you heard is from my partner Glenn Mack now. You're listening to 94 WIP and you're about to listen to a gentleman who covers the NBA, all things NBA, for ESPN, Mr. Tim Bontemps joins us now. Tim, how are you, my friend? Doing well, Sealski. How are you, man? We're doing well. So you were at the press conference on Thursday in Camden like I was to see Nick Nurse introduced. What was your big takeaway? What stood out to you most about what Nurse said on the variety of topics he addressed, whether we're talking about Harden, Joel Embiid, the next steps the Sixers can take. What stood out to you? I would say a couple things, Mike. I would say to begin with, uh, the clip you guys played, to me, has always been sort of the crux of the matter with James Harden, right? If he wants to be on the best possible championship-level team, then there's really no other option for him than to stay with the Sixers and resign. If he isn't interested in that as his number one thing, then perhaps he goes back to Houston. But there's not really a it's, – it's sort of a binary choice, right? It's not uh, – and I thought Nick pretty easily distilled down into a couple sentences. It's, it's not really about, well, you know, are there three spots where James can go and get money and win a title? It's he can either stay in Philly and do that, or he can go back to Houston and do other things. And, you know, the, the, I think the decision that's made there will inform a lot of things. And the other thing that stood out to me was when – you know, Kyle Newbeck brought up Tyrese Maxey, and you, uh, I think you'd probably agree, Nick brightened up quite a bit yep. when that when he came up and had a lot to say. And I think, you know, and that, that, that I don't think has any, I don't mean that as any correlation to James Harden. I don't think it has anything to do with the other topic. But I do think that in taking this job, if you're looking at the Sixers going forward, I think anybody who's watched that team would agree their path to taking another level up as an organization, is for Tyrese Maxey to take another level up as a player. And Tim, I think in the way Nick talked about him, you saw you saw him look like, you sound like a guy who thinks he can get Tyrese Maxey to do that. Tim, if you are uh, Nick Nurse, in your heart and soul, do you want James Harden back? Yes, absolutely. And, and I think the Sixers do too, because again, like, you can – James Harden is sort of the ultimate glass half full or glass half empty guy, right, depending mm-hmm. on how you look at it. Yeah. You can look at the poor games he had in the Celtics series. You can look at the two incandescent games he had. And, and frankly, game five, when he didn't score done, I thought he played about as good a game as he could play. Didn't turn the ball over, got everybody involved, scored just enough. Like, I, I think he's more than capable at this point of being a, a key cog of a title team. And I think he's in the right kind of role now where he doesn't have to be relied on to do it every day. Like, if he does it two or three times in a, in a big series like that, 
then, you know, in theory, that's going to be enough to get you over the line. And, you know, going into the playoffs, I think everybody in the league would agree that the Celtics are the worst possible match probably in the NBA for the Sixers to play. And with Joel Embiid at less than 100%, I mean, James won them a game without Joel, and they got to a seventh game in Boston um, with Joel at less than 100% in the series. So, you know, look, I, I would certainly want James Harden back. I think that, and I think the Sixers do too. And I think having him gives them the best chance to win a title next year. Obviously, there's some things that, you know, if they could improve the roster around those guys, it would help. If Maxie could take a step forward, that would help. If Joel could stay healthy in the playoffs and not have a, you know, a freak injury and have a guy roll into his leg, that would help. Um, but I, I think this team is right there. And while, yes, I'm sure Daryl will turn, you know, if James does leave, I'm sure it'll end up at least being a, you know, trade exception that he could turn into a bunch of stuff and they won't be left with nothing for him. Um, I would certainly want him back because I think in the short term, at minimum, he gives them the best opportunity to advance in the playoffs and win the title. We're talking to Tim Bontemps from ESPN. Tim, you probably know a little bit more about Nick Nurse than most people in the Philadelphia area. Of course, they've had the exposure to him through the recent playoff series between the Sixers and the Raptors. What kind of fit is Nurse for the team the Sixers are likely to be, assume for the sake of argument that Harden is back. I really like the fit. I think, you know, Nick is one of the most creative minds in the league. As, you know, if you guys remember back in the 2019 finals, they ran a box and one on Steph. You know, they've, they've run all these junk defenses at different times. You know, Joel has certainly had uh, plenty of comments to me and to others in the past about the way Nick has sold out to stop him. Uh, creative defenses and double teams and all kinds of stuff. And I think, you know, with the Sixers going forward, I would expect to see a lot more of that. And, you know, I do think it's it's been kind of funny to hear sort of the general discussion about him be about, well, you know, he he's always played this specific way with the Raptors, and is he going to play differently now that he's in Philly? I mean, if you go back to the first year he was coaching the team in 2019, that team with Kawhi was – played a totally different style than the one the last couple of years with, you know, OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes and no real centers and, you know, kind of this like group of six, seven wings who had iffy shooters all over the place. Right. Mm. So I would say that, you know, Nick is going to be a guy that's going to maximize the talent he has and put it in the best positions to succeed. And, you know, like I said, I, I keep going back to Tyrese Maxey. I just think that, you know, I'll be really curious to see if Tyrese could take another step next season because I, I think if you're a Sixer fan, that's really the number one question going forward is can can Tyrese Maxey become an all-star? And if he can, then I think this team goes from being a, you know, maybe a fringe championship-level team or something just a little bit above that to one that's a real bona fide, surefire championship contender if he could take that leap and become a, you know, 25-point-a-game all-star level guard. Talking to Tim Bontemps of ESPN, and uh, I'm enjoying this because I believe Tim has a lot more optimism about this uh, yeah. than any of us and most of the fans, how, how they're feeling right now. So, Well, I can't believe Philly people are pessimistic. That, that's never the case. Tim, we've so. been through a lot in this town. And we've, <laughs> uh, we've been through a lot of disappointment with this particular team, and one of the issues that uh, is tough to predict, but I'll ask you to do so, is whether Joel Embiid will be able to raise his postseason play, right? He's MVP of the season to get to the postseason. He has his moments, but we all saw what happened back into Game 6 and through Game 7, 
And um, we've talked about there are, and, and I think Nurse may reference to this, players who are able to raise their game in the postseason and how that is needed to win the championships. We haven't seen it from Joel Embiid. Reason to believe that he can do that? I think so. And I mean, look, I think part of the problem here is Joel has just not had a full postseason where he's been healthy basically ever. Right? And, and that was the thing that I felt bad for him about this year. He spent all season saying, look, I just want to get to the playoffs healthy and have a full run where I'm healthy in the postseason because I think this team's good enough to win. And then, you know, Cam Johnson falls into his leg in the Brooklyn series and it changed the trajectory of his entire playoffs, right? And, you know, maybe the way Joel plays, as big and physical as he is, and how he throws his body around, maybe he's just never going to have that kind of playoff run like that. But, I mean, to me, I certainly think that Joel is good enough to be the best player on the title team. We've seen Nikola Jokic show that you can be the best player on the final team as a center and win. I think Joel is good enough to do that. And like I said, I mean, if, if the final six minutes of game six go a little differently, I think Philly's playing in game two of the NBA finals in Philadelphia tomorrow. So, you know, like that's, that's how close this was. It's not, I don't think this team, I understand the disappointment. I understand the frustration with being knocked out in the second round five of the last six years, but I don't think this team is, a thousand miles away i think it's pretty close and i think with a couple tweaks and a couple lucky breaks i see every reason to think that this team could be playing in the finals as soon as next season tim you mentioned the finals so let's talk about that a little bit can anything about the nba as a whole be read into what the miami heat have done just to reach the finals uh is this a sign of something bigger that's going on or is this completely unique and it's just a matter of uh, a once-in-a-lifetime or once-in-a-generation kind of upset run that this team is on? I would say, Mike, that what it's shown is that poise and discipline can get you really far in the playoffs, right? And let's go back. Let's turn it back to Philly, and let's go back to the final six minutes of game six. Obviously, those were not very poised and disciplined minutes from the Sixers, right? Then let's go look at the Heat series against the Bucks in the first round and then against the Celtics in the conference finals. In the first round, the Bucs are up 15 in the fourth quarter of game four and game five and blow both leads and lose, right? Then in the Celtics series, Celtics dominated game one, had a terrible third quarter, lose. Uh, dominated game two, had a terrible six minutes of the fourth quarter, lose. And that's why they're not playing right now, right? And when you look at this series, those advantages for Miami, they go away when Nikola Jokic has the ball on the other side. Because the, the Denver Nuggets are going to be poised and disciplined, and they have the best player, and they have more talent. So those advantages Miami had, being well coached, having Jimmy Butler be excellent in those difficult situations, and having poise and discipline to do the right things in the right moments, those are all gone. And so I don't really see, you know, short of catastrophic injuries or you know truly insane shooting, I don't really see what the counter is for Miami. And I think they're probably going to lose. But that's why, to me, watching game one, if I'm the Bucks, even though they had the honest injury, or especially if I'm the Celtics, I'm watching that game going, man, this is just a blown opportunity to be in the finals. Because I think those teams would look at it and say, we were better from a talent standpoint than Miami, and we lost on things we should be able to control. And that, to me, would be a pretty frustrating thing if I was sitting there watching those games. 
Tim, it sounds like you're walking through Midtown Manhattan, and I don't <laughs> want you to be distracted and hit by a bread truck as you're crossing 44th Street. So thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Saturday, man. Now, I apologize for the noise, but thanks for having me, guys. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. That was Tim Bontemps from ESPN. As you said, Glenn, much more optimistic about the Sixers than anybody locally. Well, there's always the thing when you're living through it and you're watching it from the inside day after day, year after year after year, you you see it. And we see this as I see this as a team that, like, I don't think they can win as currently constructed. He's looking at it from the outside and saying, hey, it's one of the four or five best teams in the NBA. Why not? I'll stick with my opinion. Yeah. Tim is also just a naturally optimistic fellow. Uh, and it's a good so way I, to go through life. Yeah, I think you know, that plays Whistling his way down the streets of Manhattan, as you said. <laughs> like I said, I just don't want him to get run over. Um, Aaron in Norristown wants to uh, talk about the Phils and one David Dombrowski. Hey, Aaron, what's up? Hey, guys. How you doing this morning? Doing All great. Right. Good afternoon. Hey, I, wanted to, I also had a flop for you, but I, I was um, – I guess, you know, Dombrowski could only do what he can do in the short time he's been here. But, you know, like, he seemed to not – really pay attention like Taiwan Walker is the pitcher like we really needed pitching not hitting in the offseason and you know I I, I, I mean I don't know what what responsibility for what's happening to the Phillies right now do you put on Dombrowski's lap or is it too early to say it's in Dombrowski's lap I would say this Aaron as we talked about earlier with Todd Zalecki I do put some of the blame of the poor performance at the back end of rotation on Dombrowski not necessarily for signing Taiwan Walker but for banking that 19-year-old Andrew Painter, A, was going to stay healthy, and B, in staying healthy, was going to be good enough to be a fourth or fifth starter. Uh, You know, Painter may very well turn out to be great. You know, all the indications are that if he's healthy, he will be. But he's not healthy. He got hurt, and they didn't really seem to have a backup plan. Yeah, it'd be nice if, like, one of their number one draft picks, like, when we drafted Crawford, he's projected to be in the major leagues in 2028. That's wonderful. I mean, like, they can't even draft, and it's just frustrating, and I just hope they turn it around, but... I do have a flop for you that I think is uh, a monumental flop okay. uh, in Philadelphia, if I may. So it's, and it's a triple Lundy flop, Glenn. <laughs> it's basically, not, it's, uh, you guys, before your time a little bit, the Sixers were NBA royalty. They had from seven, like once they got the $6 million man, best cover ever on the back of the Daily News, Dr. J, from 76 to 85, they were NBA royalty, either yeah. in the conference yep. or in the final. And then what did they do? They traded for the triple Lundy, Roy Henson, um, uh, 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 Cliff, Cliff, Robinson. Cliff Robinson and um, uh, Jeff Ruland, and they gave up most, a Hall of Famer and a number one draft pick. Literally, if the Sixers ever get the number one draft pick, the NBA should hold an intervention and take it away from them, and they handle it. So the Sixers don't have any responsibility. Of it. The I'm day like that, that, and, that thank, and thanks for the call. Thank you so much, Aaron. Great call. So the day that I was writing for the Detroit Free Press at the time, right? Mm-hmm. And um, they had given me permission to sit in the draft, the Pistons draft room. Oh, wow. That day when those picks were going down, you know, there was the proviso I couldn't write any inside stuff like mm-hmm. if they're conversing and saying, like, yeah, we're not going to draft it. I had to, you know, had certain rules I had to follow, but I got to sit in there. And Isaiah Thomas as a player was in there, and Jeff wow. McCloskey was the GM, and Chuck Daly was the coach, and mm-hmm. they're doing it all. And when the Sixers made that trade, I remember Chuck Daly and McCloskey and everybody else with the Pistons going, wait, what the, what the hell did Philadelphia just do? Like, what was that? And those guys agreeing, like, they just destroyed their own franchise. Yeah. And they were baffled by it. So, you know, I wasn't here yet, but I was aware of it. And I'll just tell you, other people in basketball who, by the way, won championships thought that was stupid. Well, 
Pat Williams, who made that trade, he was the general manager of the Sixers at the time, is a good friend of mine. Mm. And we've talked about that trade often. And the thinking was that Moses and Doc are on the way out. They're at the end of their careers. We have Charles Barkley as a budding star. Uh, and we need better pieces that will fit with Barkley. Uh, didn't work out. It just didn't. And I, And I think the logic of it wasn't, fully sound either because you were going to get Brad Doherty with the number one overall pick. Imagine Barkley and Brad Doherty for 10 years together. So the story at the time, I don't know if this ever came up in your conversation with Pat Williams, was that Harold Katz at his estate Mm -hmm. out on the main line had had Doherty out there and Harold Katz had a basketball court at his his driveway and worked out Doherty and didn't like him. Uh, That makes... A lot of sense to me, <laughs> knowing people who have worked for Harold Katz and uh-huh. who describe him as calling them in the middle of the night, saying, hey, I'm watching the Seattle Supersonics play the Sacramento Kings, and we should trade for this guy. Yeah, uh, Harold fancied himself a an aficionado yeah. and an expert in basketball. But he worked out Doherty in his, in his driveway and decided he didn't want him. That's, that's amazing. If yeah. that's true, that's amazing. Yep. Um, Gino, we will get to you on the other side. Uh, We are, of course, taking your calls, more venting about the Phillies, talking about the Sixers and Nick Nurse. Uh, Anything else you got on your mind? 215-592-9494 with Glenn Macnow. I am Mike Sealski, 94WIP. With Glenn Macnow, I am Mike Sealski on 94WIP. Now, Glenn, last Thursday, you were up in my neck of the woods in Bucks County. Love it up there. New Hope. Love New Hope. Great town. Got to get there more often. You do. It's far. It's, far, it's, too, it's a long It's drive. far for you. It's an hour and change for me, so I don't get it's, there a lot, but it's really nice. It's 25 minutes for me. Yeah. Uh, and you were there because Ray Dittinger's wonderful play, Tommy and Me, is playing at the Bucks County Playhouse. By the way, great theater, too. It's really nice building. Yeah, it's great. Everything about New Hope is wonderful. Yeah. Um, so you were there Thursday. You did the talk back with Ray after the show. It was a blast. New can- I mean, so his show, Tommy and Me, this is the seventh time it's run. Mm-hmm. I've been to all of them um, and done talks back at all of them. I know you did the week before. Yep. Um, and it's got an all-new cast, which is really interesting. It's got a like a, a cast out of New York more, mm-hmm. um, including Gordon Clapp as Tommy McDonald. Gordon Clapp having won an Emmy in years back in Hill Street Blues. Or NYPD Blue. NYPD. Yeah. Yeah, NY- NYPD Blue. I thought it was Hill Street Blues. No, he was Detective, okay. uh, uh, Detective Metavoy. Metavoy. Yeah, okay. on NYPD Right Blue. character, wrong show. Anyway, I watched both of those. They were both great. Mm. Um, and, and fascinating. So afterward, yes, you you come back on stage with Ray and you talk and the audience participates. And you and I both got to do it. And coming up this week, this Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday night. He lives. Angelo <laughs> Cataldi is going to open the door of his house get in his car, drive to New Hope, and host it. I almost want to go back just to see Angelo. I haven't seen Angelo in person since he retired. It's alive. Yes. Alive. And he'll be great at it, and uh, it'll be a rare public appearance by one Angelo Cataldi it, doing it. It will be, and it'll be uh, – he, he has gone into full hermit mode ever since yeah. uh, retirement. Wrote so his book. He did in six weeks. He wrote 90,000 words in six weeks. For those of you who may not be in the business – Trust us. That's a lot. That's that's 
a lot very, very quickly. And by the way, I know Ray read the book because Ray wrote the foreword for it, and Ray has read the manuscript and said it's terrific. So I don't know when Angelo's book's coming out, but it's absolutely going to be worth getting. All right, listen, before we go back to the phones, Mm -hmm. uh, and Gino is next, uh, I asked you, because this is something that you have fun with sometimes, to Mm -hmm. come up with the all-time list of the best-ever Ellis's this being, of course, because the Phillies now have a first base slash third baseman named Ellis, who's like the most anonymous player that nobody ever yeah. saw in their lives. Drew Ellis, got, who, we, got, who we've called Rob Ellis throughout this show. Right, has a career batting average of about 118 and got picked off of first base yesterday. So who are the? what's the all-time Ellis list? Where All does right. it come in? So this is in no particular order, but here are some of the great Ellis's that I've come up with. How about fashion designer Perry Ellis? Okay. I think I had a shirt or two. Okay. Um, former Expos outfielder Ellis Valentine. Tremendous arm. Great three-point shooter for the Seattle Supersonics, Dale Ellis. Dale Ellis. Fine player. Long, long career. Yeah. Uh, famous novelist Brett Easton Ellis. Okay. Uh, less than zero. You yeah. Know, big, never big never read, 80s. but okay. Big there in the you 80s. go. I like you spreading it out. And with the exception of my friend and colleague, Rob Ellis, this is my favorite Ellis of all time. Ellis from Die Hard. The character of Ellis in Die Hard. <laughs> he's the, the, the jerk face. Yes, exactly. Oh, uh, let me talk to you. He's, he's like going to solve the whole thing. He's going to negotiate yes. John McClane's way out of trouble with yeah. the terrorists. Doesn't work well for Ellis, yeah. does it? Yeah. And uh, how do you... Man, that's a good poll. I lo- that's one of my ten favorite movies of all time, Die yeah, Hard. Yeah, yeah. I still okay. remember watching that for the first time with my mom and dad at home. They came on cable one night, and oh my gosh, I was hooked for the rest of my life. Just a great, great movie. Uh, my friend Larry suggests former heavyweight boxer Larry Ellis, who was a well, Jimmy Ellis. Jimmy Ellis, yes. Uh, Jimmy Ellis was fought Muhammad Ali once or twice. That is correct. That's a how, good one. Yeah, I don't know how many of our listeners would remember. No, it goes back away. Ellis. So I, I think, uh, just if I may sum it down, Rob Ellis won. Mm-hmm. Drew Ellis, 1,158. That's that's about right. I'd say that's about right. Gino from Lansdowne has some thoughts on the Phillies' struggles. Hey, Gino, how are you? I've been better. Just bumming with the <laughs> Phillies. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm so frustrated with these guys, dude. Yeah. Um, go ahead. It, they look like the bad news bears sometimes. I just think they're so frustrated, and the pitching is so bad. And I, I really think it's the time clock. I think that has to do with it because it gives me anxiety. It really does. I, like that was the only sport I could relax and watch. Wait, wait so you're watching on the screen because now they put it on the screen. You see, go like nine, eight, yeah, seven. Be- you getting tense? Are you? Yeah, because when I was younger, you know, the Eagles were my number one team, Eagles and Flyers. Like, and as I got older, the Phillies definitely became my favorite team. And like, I could sit and relax, and then you know, just chill out. And if it went bad, then I'd get crazy. But I just think the pitching's making them frustrate, get frustrated even more. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, look, Gino. Thank. Wait, oh, sorry, I cut him off. I was flop. I was flop. Sorry uh, about that. I love the pitch clock. I, I, I love I the do. clock, too. Gino's one of the rare people I've heard who doesn't like it, um, Gino which and, is interesting. Uh, yeah, Gino and the Phillies pitchers. Yeah, <laughs> and they're the only ones who dislike it. But he did, he did kind of hint at what I think is another weakness that we're seeing with the rule changes with respect to the Phillies is that they're not a good fielding team. 
And if opponents are going to put the ball in play more often because pitchers are working faster and there aren't shifts, the defensive liabilities that the Phillies have, such as Kyle Schwarber in left field and some of their infield defense and Brandon Marsh making the occasional kind of space cadet play, Mm -hmm. uh, those sorts of things come up more often. And they're hurting the Phillies. They really are. By the way, Facebook friend Tom says... Ellis Boyd Redding. Ah. Red in Shawshank. Red in Shawshank Redemption. You that's got to get that on your list. Yeah, that's an all go. that's an all time that's a top five Ellis. I right am there. gonna get that later. Are you you when you get around to it today, you're gonna post that? Oh, I'll definitely post okay. it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'll, I'll put it out there on Twitter and Facebook and uh get get the fans weighing in, get all the Ellis fans out there weighing in uh on top ten lists. I love doing stuff like that. I know. I love that's I love good. Tweaking and poking people on social media. and Yeah, uh, you engage in ways I don't. So I tend to – you and I are both very active on social media. It is part of the job. Mm-hmm. We have to do it. Yeah. It's, you know, you, you, you stay engaged with people that way, and that's fine. And you use it to both promote your work and to just kind of mm-hmm. be, be a character. Yeah. Right. So by nature of that, it is inevitable that we're going to get negative feedback. Sure. Right? Like, you're a jerk and an idiot. How in the world could you possibly think this? My approach with that is usually, I ignore that. (laughs) They're entitled to their opinion. I'm not going to, you know, worry about that. Mm -hmm. Your approach is, you write a snarky thing back to them. Not all the time. A lot. Often, I do. Yes. Uh, A, because I find it a little bit funny. I find it a little bit amusing. Uh, and I won't. I, I generally do it if the person coming at me, so to speak, is really, really vile and vulgar about it. Yeah, those are the ones that I just completely. Yeah. If some, but, let me put it this way: I do have a certain limit that if somebody is vile and vulgar enough, yeah, you I will. I will or... mute or block. The, my general rule of thumb is: if this is somebody with whom I would not have a conversation in public or invite into my house or want mm-hmm. to share a molecule of space with mm-hmm. you're going to if you're going to like get obscene with me or something I will block you. I don't block a lot of people. You can you can tell me I'm, you know, right. I'm wrong. I'll even stand with you're an idiot for that. Mm-hmm. But there's certain language like, okay, now you're gone. Yeah, and and I do the same thing after a while too. No, you write them back. <sighs> well, I don't write them back sincerely. Well, you write over them. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I use it as kind of a judo move. I'm going to be a little self-deprecating. I'm going to be playful with them because they're so aggravated and taking this exchange so seriously that mm. I want to try to diffuse the situation mm. by being playful and funny if I can. And you don't buy that. I buy that it's what you're aiming to do and sometimes succeeding at that. <laughs> I just feel like yeah, if, it's a waste of time. You feel it's a waste of time. Yeah, you're only prolonging stupidity. Yeah. There's enough stupidity on social media that you you don't have to encourage it. Oh, I don't think I'm encouraging it. Yes, you are. Uh, I don't think so. Because because what you're doing is you're saying then they're going to write you back and then it's going to keep well, going. No, no. Or they, if, or if, you're spreading their word that people wouldn't otherwise see. If somebody writes you something stupid mm-hmm. and you let that just kind of flow off into the ether then I, as somebody who follows you on social media, will have the pleasure of never reading it. If you respond to it, now I'm reading it. Yes, but in responding to it, 
I'm highlighting something that is so ridiculous and so beyond mm. any sort of reasonableness that I can have a little hey, fun with it. You handle it your way. Yeah. I handle it my tomato, way. Tomato, tomato. There you go. Twitter. I don't know. So you use another way to pronounce it. Use Twitter. Twitter a lot, right? I do. Yes. Use Facebook. I use mm -hmm. Facebook. Yeah. I'm on Instagram as well. I'm on Instagram, but I don't. And I know for most people, Instagram is like the number one thing. It's it's amazing. For me, it's a very distant three. Yeah. Because I, I'm not about photos. Yeah, same with me. And I should be more active on it because it can be a really valuable tool professionally if you're promoting your work. Quick story. Former co-worker and a friend of mine, a guy named Chris Herring, last year wrote a book about the New York Knicks, all about the 90s Knicks, the Ewing Knicks. He gets an Instagram post from Spike Lee. Spike Lee ends up with a copy of the book in his hands, uh -huh. posts about it on Instagram to his millions of followers. Oh, well, there you go. Chris ends up on the New York Times bestseller yeah, list. pretty good. Yeah. That's, that's amazing, and nice. that speaks to how powerful that that medium is. Why do you think I posted a picture of Larry Anderson drinking my there beer? There you go. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna have Spike Lee at the you can get Publish Spike Kitchen Lee to my thing on Thursday, <laughs> on Thursday and we'll, we'll really do well. I got you. <laughs> what are some of the items? You mentioned some of the items that are going to be auctioned at the event. Yeah. What are the big ones? All right. So the big ones. Now that you ask me, hopefully I have this in my mind. Uh, so, you know, so this is Thursday night. Thank you for, for, uh, giving me the, the mm -hmm. pub. Six here. to 9 p.m. Six to 9 p.m. Uh, Publix Kitchen and Tap, three to Calp Street in Bridgeport, over the bridge. All right. So here's, there's the big ones. Personally autographed official Bernie Perrant Flyers jersey right off the back of Bernie Perrant, who will be there with his lovely wife, Jeannie. So, well, all right. So wait a minute. I'm, I'm less, I'm less interested in the Bernie jersey. Bernie than Jeannie? I I'm interested in shirtless Bernie Perrant at well, this event. He's usually got something on her. All right. All right. Thank goodness. Okay. okay. Uh, baseball autograph by Bryce Harper. Ooh. Uh, Eagles home opener, four club-level seats with parking pass, the Eagles-Vikings, uh, plus a signed Darius Slay jersey. Nice. Uh, dinner with the, uh, this one's going to be – tell me who you would want to – that you wouldn't want to have dinner with this guy. Dinner for four with Charlie Manuel at the 1731 Restaurant and Brick Oven Pizzeria, Packer Avenue in Philadelphia. Talk some hitting. Ray Dinger's autographed game notes from Super Bowl 57 and scouting reports on the 23 Eagles draft picks all on the original yellow legal pads. Whoa. Uh, ultimate Phillies fan experience. Hall of Fame club tickets for four. On the uh, Stand on the field during batting practice. Sit in the broadcast booth with Scott and Larry. Not bad. All right. Those are the live auction. We've got a raffle item of a Trey Turner autographed bat. Don't make any jokes. I, everybody's going to make the uh, joke. Everybody's going to make. Has has it been used? A lot of hits <laughs> left in that. Okay. Silent auction. Baseball autographed by all members of the Phillies broadcast team. Uh, Fransky and Nelly autographed bobbleheads. One-year golf membership, Walnut Lane Golf Club in Roxborough. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, new to golf, two-hour uh, clinic at the Walnut Lane Golf Club for 10 This one we did last time, and it went for a lot of money because people are in this more than I am. Uh, there's a really nice guy I know named Chuck Cotchall who donated a day of fly fishing up in, in, in Henryville, up in the Poconos, including lunch and instruction and all that. I have friends who would love that. Yeah. Yep. People love that. Uh, a thank you to WIP for four Hall of uh, Fame club tickets to see the Phillies Braves Wednesday the 21st. How about this? Six bottles of wine from the vineyards of Coach Dick Vermeil. He makes excellent wine. Dinner for two with you and I at 
Ralph's Italian restaurant. We love Ralph's and always appreciate that. We do. We do. Beers with Jody McDonald, me at Conchi Brewing. A Mickey Mantle 1951 replica uh, flannel jersey in Mantle's size, thanks to Peter Capolino. You, you couldn't get Mickey Moniac? You had to settle for Mickey Mantle? Baseball autograph by Chaz Palminteri. Ah, Bronx Tale. Uh, you can get voicemails from Merrill, Scott Fransky, Joe Conklin, etc. Flyers, jury, autograph flyers, uh, Carter Hart jersey. Thanks to the Flyers. Appreciate yeah. that. Give you a couple more. Uh, baseball autograph by the oldest living MVP winner. Can you Bobby Shantz. Yeah, you got it. Uh, thanks to Carl's Cards and Collectibles. Uh, a uh, What do we got? A uh, gift certificate for Four Brats Gourmet Cheesecakes. They are great. Ooh. Sit in studio uh, with our morning show, our midday show, our afternoon show. I wouldn't subject anyone to the camera for that length of time. <laughs> there you go. Uh, De Bruno's gift basket, Conchi Brewing uh, gift basket. A this is cool actually. It's a barbecue tool set made. Barbecue tool set made with reconditioned hockey sticks from Flyers winger Noah Cates. Courtesy of Requipped, it's a nonprofit with the mission of employing adults with special needs. That's a lot of great stuff. It's all and, that good stuff. And you're going to have me and Todd Zalecki and Tyler Kepner there selling books. Yeah. You're going to have incredible beer. No shortage of great beer. And it's going to Including be- the Franskin and a Bedlam at the Bank, and it's all for a great charity, which is the uh, Philadelphia Youth Sports Collaborative. It's going to be a great night, 6 to 9, Thursday at okay. Conchock and Brewing Company. Publish kitchen. kitchen and tap. All right, so we got to give these tickets away that we uh, gave uh-huh. for this event. So here we go. Get involved here, Dan. The best ones we got, uh, Tom and Devin said the 2011 Eagles Dream Team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he said he couldn't go. Right. John and Ben Salem said Sean Bradley. Dr. Gelt said Dom Brown. Mike and Marilyn said Namdi. And somebody said the 2011 Phillies, but I didn't get the guy. Lance and Collingdale. All right, Lance and Collingdale. So... What do you guys think? Uh, go ahead, Dan. What do you? What are your thoughts? I so the 2011 Phillies, I think, is interesting to me because it was a a flop at the end, like expectations versus reality. I know, like I know, it's not what we think of as flop. My answer was that we were discussing the break was Chip Kelly. No one said that. Chip that would, Kelly's good. That would have been a winner for me. Uh, Sean Bradley's probably the winner though, right? That's pretty good. I I think Sean, the yeah. the pull of Sean Bradley is good. I would have two more. I would have mentioned Lance Parrish signing with the Phillies in the 1980s. Yep. Was supposed to be the best catcher I, I, in baseball. The next one you say has got to be the one, Chris Gratton. No, well, that was good too. Another Ooh. flyer, goalie, uh, Russian. Ilya. Oh, oh, uh, Brzgalov. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to blow that. Yeah, Ilya Brzgalov. Yeah, <laughs> they've had so many squirrely goalies. My yeah. mind immediately went to Roman Czechmonic. Yeah, too. Like, Wait but, a minute, he was a finalist. But Brzgalov, man, all the hype. All right, so John and Ben Salem wins for Sean Bradley. Nicely done. Hope we see you at the event. Well done, John. Well done. We are uh, going to head to a break. When we come back. Dan Wilson will tell us what we forgot to talk about. Time for maybe one more call at 215-592-9494 with Glenn Macnow. I am Mike Sealski on WIP. Hey, you uh, tired of dealing with those old inefficient windows in your house? Maybe it's time to go Guida. How about a drafty, that drafty beat-up-looking entry door? You've painted over more times you can count. Go Guida. If you need added protection from the elements with a new storm door, go Guida. What about that sliding patio door, the garage door you've been meaning to replace? Go Guida. Guida. Whatever your home improvement needs are, I suggest you go Guida with the great people at Guida Door and Window. To help get your project started, Guida is offering 20% off all windows and doors while allowing you to start your project with no money down, up to three full years to pay them off interest-free. 
That's right. Receive 20% instant savings with the luxury of paying off your project interest-free for up to 36 months. Now, restrictions apply. Offers for a limited time. Hey, what are you waiting for? It's time you finally go Guida. Call today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. 94 WIP, Mike Sealski and Glenn Macnow will be taking you until 1 o'clock, and then it'll be Go Birds Radio with James Seltzer and Elliot Shore Parks. So you have a block party going on today, huh? We do, yeah. Um, I love my neighborhood, and we've been doing this block party in my neighborhood for about seven, eight years, and it, it is at our house in our yard because we've got this big side that's, yard. That's and, not a block party. No. That's a Macnow party. Yeah, uh, well, there will be uh, in my backyard today, I think the count was 152 people. Wow. Um, yeah, like 70 adults and 80 something kids. And we, again, I love my neighborhood. Everybody brings a dish. We got a big tent. Mm -hmm. Uh, they close off the streets. The kids play in the street, you know, ride their bikes and draw with chalk. And that's awesome. uh, It's going to be a great time. I can't wait. And, uh, you know, we drink beer and eat food and smoke cigars and Uh, it's a great time. Yeah. That's, that's what you want out of a block party. Love it. Love my uh, neighborhood. Love the people in my neighborhood. I've, uh. I've got my boys to myself this afternoon because my wife is up in New York with her mother seeing Hamilton. Good for and first time you said, right? Yeah. First oh, she she will and she will love it. Now she's she likes the music. She she, she with, plays right? the music around the house so much that I, I think I could you know sing the entire album just through osmosis. Good. She'll she'll come back and just rave about it, and then you'll be seeing it within a short period of time. Yeah, probably. Probably. I I enjoy the music. I don't. I'm not as into it as she is. Um, but I love. You know, going to a good Broadway show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a little jealous of her that she gets to enjoy that today. Uh, Dan Wilson, tell us what we forgot to talk about. Well, so a bit of Eagles news that broke this week, and it had been kind of speculated in the past, but really solidified this week, which is that if it weren't for Russell Wilson vetoing a trade, he would have been the quarterback of the Eagles last year and moving forward. And thank goodness for Russell Wilson, I guess. Yeah, my buddy uh, Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated apparently broke this story that, as Dan said, the Eagles had a trade in place for Russell Wilson, Mm -hmm. and Wilson did not want to come to Philadelphia. And so the Eagles had to go to Plan B, and Plan B turned out to be the $250 million man, Jalen Hurts. Unbelievable. It worked out so well for them. Listen, they tried tried to get Russell Wilson when he was coming out of college. They just missed on that. Yeah. And all those years later, there was always the rumor, were they doing it, were they doing it? And I guess they were, and thank God it turned out the way it did. Not only because of how well Hertz has played, but could you imagine Russell Wilson in Philadelphia being kind of the, yeah. not only the decline in his quality of play, but the personality that he yeah. is. I heard somebody describe him as kind of a poser, like really disingenuous, yeah. and that would not play here no, it would at not. all. Nope. Happy with the way it worked out. Delighted to have Jalen Hurts as the quarterback. Dan, what else you got? Uh, So a little bit of college sports news. Uh, Penn Baseball, with maybe one of their best wins in program history last night, beating Auburn in the first round of the NCAA tournament at Auburn. uh, Round two tonight, they take on Samford. So this was a baseball game and not a quiz bowl match? Yes, this was a baseball (laughs) game. So congratulations to uh, head coach uh, John Yurkow. And uh, again, baseball, Penn beating Auburn. That's uh, let me know when they beat him in football. That that be would impressive. be impressive. Yeah, very much so. Uh, and our fi- final thing I had this week, or from this week, uh, Scott Rowland going in the Wall of Fame was officially uh, announced. 
yeah. know what? I, I knew you'd be a fan of this, I, Glenn. I'm so glad you saved that to the end, Dan. I'm so glad. You know, I'm on tomorrow with Jody, and I think that deserves some some conversation. And Jody, for all I know, may think it's a good idea. And Roland was a was a look. He was an outstanding player when he was here. I mm-hmm. cannot argue that. A a bigger disconnect from Philadelphia fans never, I think, existed. That was more than Roland. The Phillies Wall of Fame. Again, I I don't know that I can argue with him as his production, but geez, it's a day for the fans. By the way, he's not even coming on Alumni Day. Nope. He's not no, even yeah, they're rescheduling it for him like a month later. Yeah, it's like why why are we doing this for Scott Stinking Roland? He hated us. How long until the 08 guys go in? That's by the way, exactly the point. Like, yeah. How long do we have right. to wait? Right, we got the Lieberthals and the Owens and the Abrams. Like it was such an awful era of baseball. Can we just move? I guess Cole Hamels officially has to retire. He's still in the Padres system. Yes. Like, what else are they waiting for? <laughs> like, literally, what else are they waiting for? Well, I, I will say this. Here's here's the problem. And I actually wrote about this last year when Pete Rose did his Pete Rose stuff when he came oh, back. Oh gosh, that was a bad day. Bad yeah. day. They don't have all that many people to honor. Right, because they've been, uh, uh, they've lost more games than any sports franchise in North America. They're not so, exactly the Yankees, right? Yeah. So, look who else is getting in with Roland? I think John Quinn. Yeah, who's a horrible general manager. Yeah, it's like he's a really bad general we're, manager. We're really and Rooley Carpenter was one of the old owners because every owner gets in, so that's fine. and that's fine. I have no yeah. issue with Rooley Carpenter, but but to Dan's point, when the 07 to twenty eleven teams, when those players start to get eligible. Think of the guys who are... Oh, all of them. All of them are going to get in. So, not in any particular order. Chooch gets in. Sure. Ryan Howard gets in. Utley gets in. Rollins gets in. Mm -hmm. I think Charlie they did put in, right? Yeah. Charlie they were able to... Hamels will eventually get in. Hamels will get in. Lidge gets in. Mm -hmm. How about Ryan Madsen? Well, they they put Ron Reed in last year, so if they did that, we'll get to Ryan Madsen. How about Brett Myers? No. How about Jamie Moyer? No, no. Jason Worth. Yeah, maybe. Shane Victorino. Oh, yes. Yeah. Victorino's an absolute yes. I should have put him in the first list. So that's eight to ten. Yeah. Right. Already from a five-year period. All right. Can we get there already? Well, have, I mean, those guys, people will come out and cheer. Not five people are going to come out and cheer for Scott Rowland Day, which, by the way, he won't be there. You know what? This is tomorrow's show. Hey. Nice to see you. I'm doing this tomorrow. <laughs> okay. You've got a block party to go to. Oh, anyway, I do. And you need to be in the right frame of mind. Yeah, I'm going to be. It's going to be great. Thinking and talking about Scott Rowland is not where Glenn Mack now wants to be. So anyway, thank you to Todd Zalecki and Tim Bontemps, our guests today. Thanks to Dan Wilson for producing. Thank you, Glenn Mack now. Hey, for see you next partnering week, up. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, go Birds Radio coming up next. I am Mike Sealski on WIP.